Support for WAMU comes from the Alliance of Community Health Plans in appreciation for WAMU's commitment to create a more informed public. We are the Alliance of Community Health Plans, and we are proud to stand with our nonprofit members in transforming healthcare. It's Sunday, it's 7, and it's such a pleasure to welcome you to the big broadcast, Radio Theater from WAMU 88.5. Hi, everybody. I'm Murray Horwitz. Ours is a show that tries to honor the past and use it to illuminate the future. And tonight, we're doing both, marking 60 years of WAMU and, with your help, ensuring the next 60. It's our fall campaign, and in addition to Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and the NBC University Theater's version of The Grapes of Wrath, we'll be celebrating the two men to whom the big broadcast owes it all, our show's founder, John Hickman, and his successor, Ed Walker. Listen to where we've been and help us get to the future. Go to wamu.org and click on Donate or call 800-248-8850 and make your gift now. Then, Sit back, relax, forget about the problems of last week or what might vex you next week. And let your imagination lead you here on your Sunday Night Oasis, The Big Broadcast. Yep, it's our fall membership campaign and... We love these evenings because it gives us a chance to play some tidbits that we can't quite fit in in other shows. And it gives you a chance, your only chance during the big broadcast this week, to show your support for our show and for the station that brings you so much more. So please call 800-248-8850 right now or go to WAMU.org while we welcome our co-producer, Jill Arold Bailey. Hello, Jill. Hello, everyone. Hello, Murray. You know, there's that old saying that the only constant is change, and the last 18 months have taught us a corollary. The only certainty is uncertainty. But for all that time, and, you know, in fact, for 60 years, WAMU has been here for you and for those who came before you. The big broadcast has been here for you, too, for almost all of those six decades. So please help us make sure it'll continue to be here for you. Call right now. 800-248-8850 or go to WAMU.org. You know, we hear almost every week from listeners of the big broadcast who started as kids listening with their parents or who are parents or grandparents listening with their kids now or both. And (laughs) that's the big broadcast legacy, the show that has been here on Sunday nights for you because of members who invested in that legacy. So please help us towards our goal tonight of $30,000 with your monthly donation now. Go to WAMU.org and click on Give Now or call 800-248-8850. Again, the reminder, this is the only time during this member week that we'll be asking you to support us here on the big broadcast. And we really need you to go right now to WAMU.org or call 
800-248-8850. We have a very special opportunity for listeners who give tonight that's coming up, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about that later. And in the meantime, again, think about what this show means to you. Go to WAMU.org or call 1-800-248-8850. It's a big lift. $30,000 in just a few hours, but we know you, and we know you can get us there. We're dogged and determined, as we know you are, and as we know America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator is. By way of example, here's part one of The Fiddle Faddle Matter, the July 16th, 1961 episode of the CBS series, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Hi, Johnny. This is Earl Foreman. Earl. You know, Tri-State Life and Casual. Sure, in dear old Los Angeles, California. I should say West Los Angeles. No, sir. Only I thought you'd given up the insurance business to retire out there in the Golden West. No more, You were going to do nothing but laze around on that California sunshine, maybe play a little golf. Hey, wait a minute. I hear you throw in a no somewhere along the line there. (laughs) You sure did. No to what? California. Huh? I mean that Mike, my darling wife, and I are back home in Florida again. No kidding. No kidding. Right back here in Sarasota. I'll be done. When'd that happen? A couple of months ago. And by way of keeping out of mischief, I've taken over the Tri-State office again. Oh, I get it. You're back to your old habit of putting in a pitch for me to get on down there and do some fishing with you. Maybe. Among other things. Other things like what? Like insurance investigation. What else? How's your musical ear? Well, I think I can tell the difference between a fiddle and a bass drum, if that's any help. It may be, Johnny. It may be. What's up, Earl? As long as the company will pay your expenses, why don't you come on down here and see? Okay. Why not? The CBS Radio Network brings you Mandel Kramer in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-State Life and Casualty Insurance Company office in Sarasota, Florida. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the fiddle-faddle matter. Expense account item one, 7940 taxi out to Bradley Field and a plane heading south. The flight was quick and easy, and by early afternoon I was in the office of 1306 Main Street that Earl shares with another old friend of mine, Don Boomhauer, a prominent real estate operator. Don't let Earl kid you for one minute, Johnny. What do you mean by that, Don? <laughs> Only real reason he wants you down here is to go fishing with him. And maybe in the hopes he can get you to settle down here, which uh, wouldn't be such a bad idea, Johnny. Now, now, stop making with the pitch, Don. You dig up Earl for me so I can get to work on his insurance problem. Well, I try. And he did very well. Tell me, do you know anything about why he wants me down here? I told you. No, I mean about the job he has for me. Oh, that, that. Well, Johnny, it's probably the most unimportant case anybody ever handed you. Uh, did you ever hear of Mr. Joseph R. Tetrick? Nope, never heard of him. Real big in oil and steel and copper a while back. Came down here to retire. Built himself a big house at the north end of St. Armand's Key, uh, really on uh, Lido Shores. And? Well, uh, that house of his includes an air-conditioned walk-in vault big enough for the average bank. And why? Why? It's to keep his collection of fiddles in. 
collection of fiddles. That's right, violins. Fine, rare violins. Oh, you must be quite a musician. <laughs> nope, doesn't know a hemisemidem, a quaver from a G-string. What'd you say? I wouldn't know the difference myself, Johnny, so don't ask. But uh, that collection is his one pride and joy in life. A couple of genuine strads. Uh, you heard of a Stradivarius engine? And everybody? Plus one called an Amati and a Paganini or a Pagliacci or uh, whatever it is in a Guinarius. And... <laughs> oh, boy, that collection must be worth hundreds of thousands, Joe. Well, what's happened? Well, now, the one he cares about most is a, uh, was a uh, Bissiac. Never heard of that one. Well, now, apparently this man Bissiac over in Italy, and uh, not too long ago at that, made a whole raft of real good fiddles, you know, uh, worth a thousand, uh, two thousand dollars a piece. Mm -hmm. I'll take your word for it. But uh, this one, they call it the Canary on account of its almost yellow color. Unlike the others he made, this one, uh, the one Tetrick has, uh, had, was just about the finest that he ever... Well, anyhow, Earl insured it for 10000 Get to the point, Don. Well, like he always does every couple of months, and I mean with all those good fiddles, you know, Tetrick took the Bissiac to a fiddle maker for a kind of a checkup, uh, just to make sure it was still strung up properly and okay and all, you know. Well, you say that he doesn't play himself. No, 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 not a note, sweeter, sir. Seems like an awful waste. Yes, I know, it's a waste of all of them. But uh, anyhow, he took the uh, Bissiac to this man for his regular checkup. Took it to whom, Don? Uh, well, uh, he's an old Italian name of uh, Antonio DiPolito. And uh, he's been down here over a year now, has his little shop at the end of Palm Avenue. DiPolito? Yeah, yeah, DiPolito. Anyhow, uh, he took the fiddle to him yesterday. And uh, this morning early, the police found the place broken into, old man DiPolito on the floor, still out from a bang on the head. And, of course, uh, well, that uh, Bissiac fiddle was gone. Mm-hmm. Now, have the police any leads on who got into that shop and how? Nary a one, Johnny. But, yeah. now, about two hours ago, Tetrick called Earl up on the phone and told him to hop on out to his home on the key that he was certain he had the answer to the whole thing. That's where Earl is now. Huh? Yes, yes. And uh, if you ask me, if Tetrick does know who did it, you've wasted your time coming down here. And I better try calling Earl at the Tetrick place. You mind if I use his phone? Uh, wait a minute. Uh, hold everything, Johnny. Don't bother. He's just parked his car out front. Oh, good. What's the matter with him? Oh, yes, yes. He does look kind of funny, doesn't he? Hi, Earl. How are you? I should say, what's all the gloom about? Oh, hi, Johnny. I, I'm glad you got down here so fast. Uh, tell me, Earl, uh, did old man Tetrick really know who took his fiddle and how and why, uh, like he said he did on the phone? I guess he must have done. I guess he must have must have? Yes, Johnny. By the time I got out there to his place, Tetrick was dead. Oh, murdered. Thanks, Don. Oh, better still, I'll drive you over there, John. No, Earl. To where I'm going, 
I think I'd rather go alone. The little shop of Antonio DiPolito, there at the end of Palm Avenue, was just that. Little and dirty and thoroughly cluttered with the tools of his trade. In the dusty flyspeck window, he had half a dozen or so dark brown, cheap violins in a stack of fiber cases. Inside, on a couple of shelves serving as a counter, was the usual stock of strings, rosins, mutes, and so on. Mr. DiPolito sat behind his workbench, a bandage around his head concentrating on a refinishing job on the fiddle in his lap. Now, let me say again that I'm no expert, but it did strike me that he was doing a rather good job with the varnish that he so carefully, painstakingly applied. He's a kid. He's a crazy kid. The body of the violin took on a sort of old-world patina under his expert hand. These are children. They get it so careless. They drop the violin to make it a crack in the belly. That's a good violin, Mr. DiPolito? It's maybe $150, dollars mm-hmm. but it's a... Too good for the kid. He don't take care of him. So I got to fix up. Put on the varnish. Then he's to look like a five hundred dollars. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Hey. Now I'm uh, hang it up to here. It's dry. Yeah. And now, uh, what am I going to do for you, mister? I'm an insurance investigator, Mr. DiPolito. The beautiful, beautiful canary beesiac. I call it canary because of its color, I understand. Yeah. Because it had sort of a yellowish cast to it, hmm? And because of the way it could sing, like only the most beautiful violin of a master can sing. Only my own boy, my young Antonio. Yeah, but now the violin is gone. Um, and he, what a terrible thing. You want to tell me what happened to the beesiac? I was awakened on it at Mr. Mr. Dollar, Johnny Dollar. You see, I was alone. It was very late. And because it was the beautiful Abisiac, I'm pulling down the shades and at the front. I locked the door, just like I'm telling the police, so that nobody would have seen me in here so late. Yes. And I'm, uh, well, uh, I guess I fall asleep. And then I'm going to wake up because I'm here with somebody in behind me. Could you see who it was? By the time I'm turning my head, he's a hit to me and a hit to me. I went on earth. Only he's a daylight. And I'm going to see the police when he's a bang, bang on the front door. So I'm going to let him in. Well, the door was still locked then? Yes, yes. And he'd come up behind you? Yes. From the window in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, come, I'm going to show you where he's a break open at the window while I'm asleep. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Ah. Here. You see where he cut the glass? Where he make it the hole to reach in and lock the window? Use the glass cutter and probably some tape to keep the glass from falling and waking you. That's what the police, he says. Looks like the work of an amateur, though. Why do you say that, Mr. Dollar? Well, you see, instead of a clean, round stroke with the glass cutter, he made a whole flock of straight scratches with it. You see? Huh? You see that? Yeah. The kind of clumsy grooves that he cut? See, see, see. But he's thinking he hates me. Now, Mr. DiPolito. Yes? Uh, like I've said a couple of times now, I don't know very much about these things. But you tell me, where could a violin, a fine violin like that, where would a person be able to buy one? Well, be sir. I mean, surely a little place like this of yours wouldn't sell them. Oh, no. 
At least if those you have in the window are any sample of the stock you'd carry. Oh, no. Fine violin is like a fine jewel. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. And it's a lot more conspicuous. So whoever stole a thing like the Bissiac would either have to hide it away for years or get rid of it immediately before the alarm was out. Mm. Well, any place I know of that would handle a fine violin. Oh. Yeah, I, I kind of thought you might be coming over here. Doing any better, Dipolito? Uh, see, thank you, Mr. Bowman. Good. The only place I know of that would trade in a fiddle like the Bissiac and those strands and the rest, well, as a matter of fact, that's where old Tetrick got all his violins. Where? The famous Wurlitzer collection up in Chicago. Sure. I could be wrong, but the way I understand it, practically all the great violins in the world have passed through their hands. Okay, then. I'm on expense account, right? Well, of course, but Johnny, what just happened to Mr. Tetrick is far more important than the fiddle right now. Or is the fiddle the key to that murder? Murder? I'll leave Don's car here. Huh? That is, if you'll drive me out to the airport. So we're off to Chicago, but before Johnny gets there and our imaginations take us with him, Jill, Errold Bailey, and I want to remind you that this is your chance tonight, your only chance to join WAMU's fall membership campaign and show your support for the big broadcast during the big broadcast. We've gotten off to a great start. We just have over $28,000 to go to our $30,000 goal. Woohoo! We've already heard from 11 members so far this hour. So go right now to WAMU.org and join them and click on the donate button or call 800-248-8850 and talk to a human being. I'm going to talk to one right now, the aforementioned Jill Errol Bailey. We have some great thank you gifts tonight we'll tell you about, but Jill and I have a really special project we're asking for your help with tonight. Jill, please talk about it. Okay. So, Murray, I'm so excited about this. Um, I've been going on for weeks, back and forth with phone calls and emails. So... It's the perfect way for our big broadcast listeners to join in WAMU's 60th anniversary celebration this fall. One of the items we have here at the station that Murray and I are particularly fond of is a beat-up old cabinet radio. But it's not just any antique. It's Ed Walker's 1932 RCA floor model cabinet radio. It's the radio that Ed grew up with, and it changed his life, and it changed our lives for the better. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) So we need to restore this precious icon to its former glory, and you can help us by calling right now, 800-248-8850, or going to wamu.org, clicking on the beating heart, and you can give towards that restoration goal. We have a clip here of Ed himself talking about his radio right after he gave it to WAMU. This was in 2012. Our good friend Rob Bamberger, the host of Hot Jazz Saturday Night, interviewed Ed as part of a live event, and here is what he said. Radio was, to me, everything. uh, I guess my mother and father listened to it some, too, but I had most of the time on the radio because I, not seeing, I didn't uh, use comic books or funny papers or anything like that. So I enjoyed the Jack Armstrong and the Lone Ranger and Tom Mix and all those shows. And then I got interested in the comedians and the soap operas, which my mother listened to religiously. Housewives mostly stayed home in those days. And that's why the radio soap operas became so popular. And... Uh, the radio that uh, I grew up with is now at WAMU. They're going to show it off when they move 
to the new studios, I think. But it was bought the year I was born. Is this a table or a it's console? It's a floor model RCA wow. from 1932. And that's the way most people had it in their homes then. Mm-hmm. One radio, much as the early days of television, when everybody had one television set in the living room. In the old days, the family would get together around the radio and look at the dial, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it was good. Radio was great for me because it's the theater of the mind, as William N. Robeson used to call it, and it is that. You can picture in your mind's eye just about anything or any description that you want. And with the technicians, the sound men and everything made it live. They made it come alive. That was the secret of old-time radio. Our beloved predecessor, Ed Walker, talking about the radio that changed his life, and as Jill said, it changed our lives. The the radio that we need your help to restore and refinish now in our 60th anniversary year, please give us that help. Call 800-248-8850 right now, 248-8850, or go to WAMU.org and click on Donate. I realize, Jill, that there are listeners who kind of don't know the background of Ed. We assume that they knew that he was not a person who had the use of his eyes. He was blind from birth. Um, he was a cornerstone of uh, WAMU. He was an American University student who helped launch AU's first student-run campus radio station, an AM station, in 1951. And uh, along, we're going to get to this later tonight, but along with Willard Scott, the recently departed Willard Scott, he was one half of the Joy Boys, which were, and they were the kings of Washington area radio. A lot more about Ed throughout the evening, a member of the Radio Hall of Fame. But right now, go to 800-248-8850 on your phone or wamu.org on your device and click on donate. Tonight's your only chance to give to this worthy cause and support the big broadcast, as well as all the other great WAMU programming you rely on, 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. I love knowing that if you give tonight, what you are giving towards is the legacy of the big broadcast here on Sunday nights. You're giving towards the legacy of the next 60 years of WAMU, and you're giving towards the legacy that Ed um, is, has imbued on this in this radio. So yep. you're giving towards that project when you give tonight. So call 1-800-248-8850 or go online to WAMU.org. The radio is so old, he said it's RCA, but it only says Victor on it. It didn't say RCA, <laughs> Victor. But once again, 800-248-8850. That's 800-248-8850. Or you can give online at WAMU.org while you're listening to the conclusion of the fiddle-faddle matter and the search for that yellow violin from July of 1961 and the CBS series, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Item two is 7905, Plains Fair to Chicago. I had a late dinner and spent the night at the Blackstone Hotel. That's item three. Call it uh, $15 even. In the morning, within five minutes of the time they opened for business, I was talking with one of the experts at the Wurlitzer Collection. Well, of course, Mr. Dollar will immediately notify every one of our branches, too, New York, Los Angeles, and so on, to be on watch for that busy act. Good. And, of course, we'll let you know right away if it shows up. Beyond that, however, I don't know what we can do. Well, I'm afraid I don't either. Terrible shame if it's got into the wrong hands. Only a true artist could do justice to that violin, but then, of course, no such artist would dare to use it. Why do you say that? Oh, 
because it's now known to be stolen, too easily identified because of its unique, almost yellow color. Oh, I see. Poor Emil will be heartbroken when he learns of this. Emil? Emil Victor, who once owned it, played it in concerts all over the world before he brought it to us and we sold it to Mr. Tetrick. Tell me, uh, why did this Emil Victor ever sell it? Well, you didn't know? Tragic accident to his hands that also left him blind? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't know. Matter of fact, I, uh, I'm afraid that I never even heard of Mr. Emil. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah? That name, of course. Emil? No, no. Oh, son of a gun, I knew that name had rung a bell. Oh, who's Mr. Dollar? How stupid can I be? I'm afraid I don't. Listen, under... Emil Victor played that act for years. Hmm? Oh, 15 or 20 at least. All right, then blind or not, he'd recognize it immediately if he heard it. But I thought you just said Emil's was not the name that uh, rang a bell, so to speak. Don't you worry about that. Just tell me where I can find this Emil Victor and get me a list of concert bookings anywhere, anywhere in this country. Concert bookings? Now, I don't understand. You will when I recover that act. Item four is 420 for a couple of phone calls to Earl Pullman. Yes, the man I was now looking for had been in Sarasota on a brief stopover before resuming a concert tour. Okay, now with the help of the concert schedule... I knew where he was going to play next. That very night, as a matter of fact. Item five, a dollar ninety for a cab to the flat where the once famous violinist, poor, blind, old Emil Victor lived. I told him about my suspicions, of what I planned to do with his help. But I cannot believe it, Mr. Dollar, that a fine young musician could, and that his own father... And perhaps he didn't know what he was saying. Because of that bang in the head? Who really knows how hard he was hit? Maybe that wallop on the head was faked. But if he was unconscious the rest of the night... Well, that's what he says. Who can prove otherwise? Look, he distinctly told me the shades were down so that no one could see him working on the Bissiac. I see. Yet later... Later he told me that when he came to, he could see the cop. Could see him outside knocking on the door. Mr. Now, one of those statements is false. But I really deserve a kick in the pants because of those scratches, because I didn't get wise to them right then and there. Scratches, Mr. Dollar? Yes, from a glass cutter on the window in the back of the shop to make it look like that was the way somebody had got in there. But don't you see? I could feel them. I could feel the grooves there with my fingernail on the inside of that window. But that only proves... And another thing. Now, I don't know how much the old man knows about fixing fiddles. But when it comes to refinishing them, he is great. That much I saw for myself. Refinish, recolor, call it whatever you like. But my biggest boner was in failing to pick up the cue when he was talking about the Bissiac. What do you mean? He said, if only my own boy, my young Antonio. Don't you see what he was trying to get across? Was if only his own boy could have, could play a fiddle like that. He tried to plant the idea that the boy never would. But, Mr. Dollar... Let's go, Mr. Vitton. But don't you see, if it was as you suspect, if the boy, if young Antonio does have it, if his father did change the color... That's exactly what I'm betting on. But then who could prove it's the Canary Bissiac? Are you kidding? You. Me? Come on. We've got to get to a plane to that concert in El Paso tonight. <laughs> Item six, 
172.50, taxi to the airport, and plane fares for the two of us to Fort Worth and a hot westward to El Paso. There, thanks to a captain of police, our tickets for the symphony concert cost us nothing because, yes, the soloist for the evening was young Antonio de Polito. I'll say this for him. The short, dark, intense-looking kid could really play. Beautifully. On the rather reddish-brown-colored violin that he used.
So, from here on out, it's up to the courts. And that means for his father, too. You know, I wonder if the Tepic estate will put the priceless fiddles in that collection in the hands of musicians where they can be used and appreciated. I hope so. Expense account total, including back to Chicago with Emil Victor and a trip home. That is, after a few days of fishing with Earl Pullman back in Sarasota. 68180. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. tell you about next week's story. Next week, the old-fashioned murder matter. As if there was anything new-fashioned about it. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar is written by Jack Johnstone, produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr., musical supervision by Ethel Huber. Johnny Dollar is played by Mandel Kramer. Also heard in our cast were Santos Ortega as DiPolito, Leon Janney as Emil Victor, Richard Holland as Tony, Frank Behrens as Don Boomauer, Sam Gray as Earl Foreman, and Bill Lipton as the violin expert. Be sure to join us next week same time, same station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is our tennis speak. Murder in the service of one's art. That was the motive in the fiddle-faddle matter, a yours truly Johnny Dollar story from the summer of 1961. Fortunately, here on the big broadcast, we don't have to resort to such extreme measures for our art. Jill, Harold Bailey, and I just have to ask you nicely and with a bit of urgency to call 800-248-8850 right now or go to WAMU.org and click on Donate and show your support for America's Fabulous Freelance Insurance Investigator and all the other shows that come your way here every Sunday night on WAMU 88.5 and the big broadcast. Jill, did you bring your glass cutter and your murder weapon of choice in case we have to persuade our listeners? <laughs> we have ways of making you give. Why is that a German accent? That's, I don't know. Uh, anyway. That's my very best June for it. <laughs> well, fortunately, all of the ways that we have are not uh, painful at all um, and maybe even more persuasive. In case you missed it earlier, we have a really special project we're asking for your help with tonight. Again, we have a $30,000 goal until 10 p.m. tonight. And part of that is so that we can finally restore Ed Walker's 1932 RCA floor model cabinet radio. It's the radio that Ed grew up with, and it changed the course of his life and, by extension, all of our lives for the better. So part of the plans for that restoration include a beautiful plaque. It de- it, hopefully, it will detail the history of that radio Uh, It will detail Ed Walker and his time as the host of this program, The Big Broadcast, so that future generations will know of his and The Big Broadcast's enduring legacy. We're so incredibly grateful to the National Capital Radio and Television Museum for lovingly restoring Ed's radio. 
And you can express your gratitude, too, by becoming a monthly sustaining member by going to WAMU.org, click on Donate, or call 1-800-248-8850 now. Right. The, the National Capital Radio and Television Museum is going to do this for us. We, we have to support it. You have to support it. Go to 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org now and, and help us do that. You know, we've been talking about our beloved Ed Walker I don't think I ever mention him on this show without that adjective, beloved, because he is and he was. And, he, you know, I mentioned that he was a member of the Radio Hall of Fame, but I didn't mention that it was you who put him there. The listeners, it was, it was a category of uh, inductee that into uh, the National Radio Hall of Fame that had to be decided on by popular vote, not by the expert panel. And they were overwhelmed with votes from listeners here, uh, not only to the big broadcast, but who, who remembered him from his time in commercial radio in Washington. And so please, if you were one of those who really supported Ed Walker, please support his legacy by calling 800-248-8850 or going to WAMU.org. We noted with sadness the passing of Ed's partner, Willard Scott, just two weeks ago. The two of them were the dominant personalities on Washington radio um, for the better part of two decades uh, until Mr. Scott became America's weatherman on the NBC Today show in 1980. Now, Murray, I knew you were friendly with Ed. Did you know Willard Scott? You know, I did meet him once and really get to hang with him. And it was at a WAMU event, uh, WAMU being the station uh, for for whom we're asking support tonight, go to 800-248-8850 on your phone or call or on your computer, WAMU.org. And I've asked some of my colleagues at WMU, we can't remember exactly what the occasion was. I was thinking it might have been our 50th anniversary celebration. I think it might have been some kind of uh, uh, celebration of Ed Walker, but it was at the Clarice Smith Center at the University of Maryland. And somehow, I think I might have been a member of the WMU Community Council at the time, I was appointed to be the vice president in charge of Willard Scott. And it was great. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. It just the way you saw him on the Today Show, the way you heard him on the air in Washington, that's the way he was, just this glad, generous spirit. And uh, the two of them together, as we're going to as we're going to hear pretty soon, um, we're just magical. Um, we are going to play some of the Joy Boys in just a moment, but we're asking you before that to please call 800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org on your uh, device, your cell phone, your computer, your pa- a pad, whatever it is, and show your support. We have Many, many different giving levels. You've been so wonderful right now. We only have $23,200 to go tonight, which means we've done a lot. And uh, we've got 33 members so far this hour. That's right. And actually, I'm going to let you, Murray, introduce this next bit here, um, this segment we have coming up on the Joy Boys. Um, we do want to thank our listeners, and we're going to come back to them, mentioning them on, on air uh, but, Murray, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the Joy Boys well, that we've got? In my pleasure. We always talk about the golden age of old-time radio ending in 1962 with the demise of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and suspense. But it wasn't a bright-line demarcation. There was a roughly 10-year transition period that wasn't defined only by the ascent of television as the dominant medium, but also by the changes in radio 
big-time network entertainment shows like the ones we feature became increasingly unsustainable financially. The sponsors flocked to the new video medium, and there simply wasn't enough money to sustain the kinds of production that had brought, you know, Lux Radio Theater, Armis Brooks, Jack Benny, Fred Allen, Eddie Cantor to network radio. So the result was more local radio, and most stations filled the time with recorded music. By the way, that's not the case, of course, on WAMU, and you can show your support by calling right now, 800-248-8850, or going to WAMU.org. Anyway, by the 1950s, the disc jockey had become the leading on-air radio personality. The good news was that these hosts, though they were almost exclusively male, had a lot of creative freedom, and at least for a while, their, their, their creativity was encouraged. Enter the Joy Boys, Ed Walker and Willard Scott in 1955, and soon thereafter, the Washington, D.C. radio market's biggest stars. Their comedy was often improvised. It was a hit with listeners. It was very typical of the best local radio of their era. They drew largely from such masters as Bob and Ray and Jonathan Winters. Here's a good example of what you would have heard from them over station WRC in 1960. Beloved, we are assembled here to unite this man and this woman in marriage. Now then, if there be anyone here who can show just cause why this marriage should not be performed, I require that he speak now or ever after to hold his peace. I do, I do. I, I beg your pardon, sir. This is the first time in 30 years performing weddings that anyone has ever objected. What, uh, What is your objection, sir? Who are you? I'm the father of the bride. And you don't want this man to marry this girl? Is that the idea? Well, not right now, no. Uh, what? What is the problem, sir? Well, it's five minutes after seven, man, and time for the joy boys, mm. and uh, we can continue at 7.30. I mean, we've heard the news. Come with so, me. Uh... There's a radio in my office. I want to hear the show, too. The joy boys of radio, we chase electrons to and fro. We are the joy boys of radio, we chase electrons to and fro. Ladies and gentlemen, all of you people that were hired hired as coffers, you may leave now. You get your checks outside. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, as you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, we want realism on our show, so we hired a dozen people to cough during that wedding scene. Put something in the coffer, by the way, right now. For the coffers, yeah. yes. They need the money. And uh, this Local is... coffer number 632. It's a union coughing outfit. Uh, this is the Joy Boys program. A coughing department. Now, what do, we have, uh, what do we have on the show this evening? Coming up on our program tonight, my friends, I think you're going to be quite amazed. The tape is going to break at 7.15, and you'll hear organ music for 15 minutes. Actually, we have the sod buster... WRC's new family game, The Laundry Number, something that you might win valuable prizes, That's but right. I doubt it. 
And also, Good Manners Can Be Fun, our WRC hostess of Manners, Miss Mamie Fanbelt, will be here to talk to us today. So, I think it's going to be a good <laughs> Jonathan Good evening. Hello, Jess. Well, they hack yet. Hello there. Come wind the snow, sleet or rain, Jonathan Apple is here again. Hey. There you are. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, our WRC poet laureate, Mr. Jonathan Apple, and here he is with a poem for you today. Now that we're all through with politics, I can get back to going to parties and doing funny tricks. Hey. No, that's <laughs> now in closing, here's Jonathan Apple with these fond words. Don't be nervous, don't be jerky. Listen to the Joy Boys. It's a real turkey. <clears throat> Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Walker and Willard Scott, the Joy Boys, in a bit from 1960. You know, a lot of the hippest humor of the late 1950s and early 60s, when when Willard Scott and Ed Walker triumphed here in Washington, bore a relationship to jazz, to jazz music. I remember the comedian Lenny Bruce is said to have remarked, Gee, now everybody's laughing at the stuff that only the guys in the band used to laugh at. <laughs> and you'll hear evidence of that in this little clip called Sammy Skins and Mac the Knife. Skins being jazz slang for drums and Mac the Knife being a 1960 hit for the singer Bobby Darin. It's also the year that Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy squared off in the first televised presidential debates. Now, good people, it's time for WRC Radio to present our own WRC staff drummer, Sammy Skin, who is bringing his tom-tom, his bongos, his snare drum, his bass drum, his cymbals into our studio now, setting his drum section up so that in the tone block over there, he's checking the tone block out. And it's time for another exciting feature. Do we, we don't have time for the bongo, Sammy. Oh, that's all right. Let me just all right. get set up here. Hop uh, on the stool there, Sam. Whoops. <laughs> Somebody seemed to Dropped put some marbles there. in the drum there. <laughs> oh, for heaven. That was left over from the opener, I, I guess think. guess so, yeah. Well, uh, that's showbiz, as they say. Sammy, good evening, and welcome to the Joy Boys. Thank you, fellas, and welcome to the Joy Boys yourself. I'm glad that you could see fit to come and visit with me tonight. Uh, oh, Now for our worldwide guess, listening uh, audience, what have you chosen for your song this evening? One of the hit songs from the uh, two-penny opera, or the three-penny opera. I think you're shortchanging yourself there, I think there, so. Sam. It's been made a hit by many people, and I'm going to uh, do my rendition of it now. Famous thing called Mac the Knife. <clears throat> if I can get in good voice, are we Sammy ready? Skin and Mac the Knife. Here we go, here. You have to be here. Oh, the shark has pretty teeth, babe, and he shows them pearly white. Just a scout knife or jackknife has McKeith, babe, but he keeps it out of sight on the sidewalk Sunday morning. That always is. Lies a body, it was me. <clears throat> I was out late Saturday evening, and I was locked out, as you can see. Let's whistle, Sam. No, I'll whistle, of course. Yeah. I can't whistle, I've been eating crackers. Ah, here we go. Whoops. <laughs> Somebody bumped the drum there. <laughs> hey, Sam, you're the first guy I could ever whistle and talk at the same time. I took years of practice. Tell 
like big noise from Winnetka. There we go. Mr. Nixon and Mr. Kennedy are running for office. And that is great. That's the way, Sam. Get them both in there, baby. You can see them on your TV as they come on with that great debate. Hey, how's that for rhyming, boy? Swinging, yeah, man. Let's see. Now I can think of another one. Oh, the UN is in session. All them big cats from east and west. Sorry, but I... Uh, Sammy is union, and when the three minutes is up, Sammy quits. Thank you for cueing <laughs> me there. I'm, I have the president of the Musicians Union hey, holding wait. a stopwatch. There's our producer. Let's uh, go over here. And... Gee, I never thought I played lullabies before. How do you like that? Maybe I can do a show for kids, huh? Beat them to sleep or something. I don't know. Did I mention that a lot of it was improvised? The late Willard Scott and, as we always call him, our beloved predecessor here on the big broadcast, Ed Walker, the Joy Boys, as they were called, in 1960. That was just a year before WAMU hit the air, and we've been here for 60 years because of people like you. Call now, 800-248-8850, or go to WAMU.org and help make sure radio, comedy, and drama will be here for another 60 years. For now, some more Joy Boys, and we'll have more later tonight. Soap operas, as you may have heard Ed Walker talk about a little bit earlier, were still a radio staple in the 50s and early 60s, and the Joy Boys did a send-up of the CBS TV series, as the world turns, we'll hear two of three installments of their parody right now, and we'll hear the third a little later on. For now, it'll help you to know that the movie and TV singing cowboy hero Roy Rogers had a horse named Trigger. From, remember that now. From 1973, here are Ed Walker and Willard Scott, the Joy Boys. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> and now. The continuing to the life story as the worm turns. The story of life today. La la life today. In a big city hospital. And brought you by Scuff No More, the miracle plastic product of the space age, to spray on your little children to protect them from prickly summer heat, abrasions, chiggers, and noxious growth indigenous to the area. It's a new day in Big City Hospital, and the day is dawn with sunshine. The day of sunshine can do things for the human spirit that no medical man can even dream of. As today's story opens, we find ourselves on the fifth floor of Big City Hospital. We are in the reception room of Dr. Wilfred Waddell Willanona. Dr. Willanona is a doctor of psychiatry. Willanona, yes, Willanona. Dr. Wilfred Waddell Willanona, in case you didn't get that. He's doctor of psychiatry at Big City General. His nurse, Florence Nightenhawk, is sitting at the desk. She's waiting for the bell to ring. Look what they've done to my song. And singing to herself with her normal nasal quality. The doorbell has rung, Nurse Florence Nightenhawk. Come in. Into the office and through the door, going whoop in the night, steps a Mrs. Helen B. Overshoes. 
Mrs. Overshoes is here to see the psychiatrist, but not because of herself. As the story opens, the nurse speaks. You have an appointment with the doctor, ma'am? Yes, I do. My name is Ms. Overshoes. Ms. Ms. Overshoes? Helen B. Over, over, O-V-E-R, over. Yes, I see you have an appointment with your right on time, Ms. Overshoes. You've got a terribly nasty cold, haven't you? Don't get smart with me. That's the way I talk all the time. That hurt me when you went like that. Yes, I'm here to see Dr. Making fun of me, aren't you? Dr. Willanona. Just a moment. Doctor. Yes, nurse. Doctor's talk back isn't working. Too. Got a little whistle There's... in it. <laughs> There's a Miss Overshoes out here to see you, Doctor. Mrs. Overshoes. Mrs. Overshoes. Very important to the plot. Yes, I'm expecting Mrs. Overshoes. Would you send her in, please? Why... You can go in, please. The Why is the said... doctor standing right next to the microphone? Why does he talk into that little telephone? Yeah, that's radio. Right. That's the radio bag. Go right in there. You just stand there. The sound effects man will open the door. Oh, hey, this is wonderful. I, I'm a gray lady. I'm just on my day off. I came for a tour of the station. They Mrs. stuck a Overshoes. script Get back answer. to the play, would you? Gone, Mrs. Um, Overshoes, I presume? Be in radio. Huh? I see Mrs. Overshoes, I presume. Yes, I'm Helen B. Overshoes, and I'm here to see the doctor. Well, I'm the doctor. Now, if you'll just sit down on that couch, you can tell me all about it. Well, what could Helen B. Overshoes' problem be? Why is she here to see Dr. Willanona in Big City General? Well, well, you won't want to miss tomorrow's thrilling episode when you'll hear Helen B. Overshoes speak to Dr. Willanona as she says, It's my husband, Doctor. He he thinks he's a horse. <laughs> Be listening tomorrow to find out more about this gripping situation. The Worm Turns is written for radio by Denise and Damon De Valero. Produced by Tondaleo T. Thomas. This is a Damon Del Tandel production and comes to you from Washington. Until tomorrow. And now, the continuing true-to-life story... As the worm turns, the story of life today in a big city hospital, the joys and heartaches, the intrigues and the involvements of big city living, and all brought you by Scuff No More, the miracle plastic product of the space age to protect your children from prickly summer heat, noxious growth, and certain chiggers indigenous to the area. All week long, we've been on the third floor of big city hospital, We've been in the office of the hospital psychiatrist, Dr. Wilfred Willanona. Dr. Wilfred Waddell Winonona, famed psychiatrist from the old Stuttgart Institute, doctor of psychology. His nurse, Florence Nightenhawk, ushered into the office yesterday a Mrs. Helen B. Overshoes. Right in there, Mrs. Overshoes. Thank you. And a bad snort there, nurse. Well, it seems that Mrs. Overshoes had a very personal problem indeed with her husband, Mr. Winston Overshoes, as she explained to the doctor. Well, doctor, it's like this. Winston thinks he is a horse. Just a moment, Mrs. Overshoes. Did I hear you correctly? Did you say that your husband... Winston thinks he's, thinks a, he's a horse. horse. <laughs> Four-legged horse. And I have heard of situations of this kind uh, before. Now... And let us try to discuss uh, what 
triggered, pardon the expression, what triggered uh, that I sort of a complex. I still have my sense of humor, Doctor, and I can appreciate a <laughs> yeah, little, little joke like yeah, that. Little humor, even on uh, sad occasions. Makes it all bearable when he's out there on the lawn on all fours, nibbling away at the zoysia. You mean to tell me that he actually yes. grazes on the zoysia? Constantly. <laughs> this Had is indeed... put a... outdoor lights on so he could have a snack before he went to bed. Well, now, do you have... Long conversations together, as most husbands and wives start the day together, at the breakfast table, in the breakfast nook. Uh, perhaps you were able to get to the bottom of the situation when you talk to him while he's eating his breakfast. We try to talk, Doctor, but it's terribly difficult trying to understand what he's saying. I don't quite understand. Why is it so difficult? With his head in that oats bag. Well, 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 well. What have... We hear. Mr. Overshoes, nibbling on the zoysia, keeping his head in an oats bag. You won't want to miss tomorrow's thrilling episode on The Worm Turns. But you'll hear Dr. Wilfred Waddell Willanona say... No, Mrs. Overshoes, I don't care for a lump of sugar, or an apple, or a carrot, but thank you just Be listening same. tomorrow for The Worm Turns and the continuing story of Big City Hospital Living. The Worm Turns is written for radio by Denise and Damon DeValero, produced by Tandaleo T. Thomas. This is a Damon Dell Tandale production and comes to you from Washington. Until tomorrow, ta-ta. Ed Walker and Willard Scott, the Joy Boys, no longer around, but still very much with us here on the big broadcast on WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. With me is co-producer Jill Errold Bailey and also WAMU's on-air operations manager and our dear friend Douglas Bell. He's here to help us and to help you join our fall membership campaign by calling 800-248-8850 or going to WAMU.org and clicking on Donate. Doug and Jill, we're together again. <laughs> it's great to see you. Yes, that's right, Murray, and it's great to be with you tonight. And tonight I'm also helping our membership team tally our results for this important fall campaign. And we started tonight announcing a $30,000 goal for the big broadcast tonight. I'm so excited that we are nearly halfway to that goal already. We have $15,500 left to raise in the next uh, two-plus hours of the big broadcast tonight to help us stay on track to this important goal. And we've heard already from 72 members who have called 800-248-8850 or gone to wamu.org to show their support, their love for the big broadcast, and a lot of them in support of Ed Walker. And we hope that you will add your name to the list if you haven't done so already. We have some really lovely messages from those people who are calling in and going to WAMU.org. And I I want to just read a few of them here because they're really so heartfelt. Um, We have one from Mark from Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, small stone. (laughs) For Murray, Jill, and the memory of Ed Walker, who introduced me to the big broadcast. Let's make Ed's old Victor look like new. Okay, Bravo, bravo. Um, We have one here from Lee from Bethesda, Maryland, and she says, I really enjoy the big broadcast and have listened for years. It is unique. Thank you. I'm already a sustaining member, but the opportunity to contribute to the restoration of Ed Walker's 1932 radio did the trick. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Lee. And finally here from James from North Potomac, Maryland. I am a longtime fan of the big broadcast, and for nearly 20 years... 
uh, I was invited by Ed Walker into my home on Sundays to share the classic radio shows, and became he became a familiar voice to our family. When Gunsmoke came on, my kids would recite the opening lines and yell, <laughs> Gunsmoke, in time with the announcer. <laughs> so, And James, my kids do the same thing with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> so it's wonderful. We're, we're continuing this legacy, right? We listened as kids or we have our kids listening with us. And we can do that because listeners over these past um, – six decades have kept the big broadcast here on Sunday nights by going by calling 1-800-248-8850 and becoming monthly sustaining members or if they've given in the last 20 years maybe they went to wamu.org and clicked on donate that's right and speaking of this radio that we've been talking about the ed walker antique radio which is just such a precious gem a precious antique and there are pictures of it available on the big broadcasts facebook page facebook.com slash the big broadcast and we are really excited that our listeners of the big broadcast are taking this opportunity to help us in this goal as in celebration of ed walker's legacy and his importance to the history of wamu on this 60th anniversary year that will be a part of this project of restoring this radio, getting it functional, getting it working, having it be a keepsake that we can proudly display here at our WAMU building uh, on the day, hopefully sometime soon, that we can have visitors and tours in the building again. It's a great opportunity. And just thank you to everybody who has already contributed at 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. I'm so excited because it really is a palpable expression of Ed Walker and what he's meant to all of us. You know, there's another comment that we got from Gene and David in Knoxville, Maryland. They made a gift and they wrote, Hot Jazz Saturday Night and the Big Broadcast are the highlights of our radio listening week. Thank you. We hope our support can help to keep these shows on the air. Well, Gene and David, thank you so much for saying it so that we didn't have to because that is the case. We do rely on you. Go right now to 800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org on your computer and click on Donate. And I do want to mention that if you go to WAMU.org or when you call 1-800-248-8850, in addition to putting money towards this goal of restoring the radio, we do have some wonderful thank you gifts, including a new mug with our new logo, um, the big broadcast logo. It's it's handsome. It's beautiful. You will love sipping your coffee or tea from it. <laughs> um, and that will be your thank you gift for your one-time donation of $144 or a sustaining membership of only $12 a month. That was our brilliant co-producer, Jill Arold Bailey. Along with her is our equally brilliant co-producer tonight, Douglas Bell. Our engineer is Mike Kidd. I'm Murray Horwitz, and this is WAMU Washington, your listener-supported NPR news station from American University in HD at 88.5, on your smart speaker, and at WAMU.org. You know, it's more than appropriate that as we move toward WAMU's 60th anniversary and we celebrate our fall membership campaign, we pay tribute to the founder of the, the founder, I should say, of the big broadcast, John Hickman. He came before Ed Walker. He's the guy who started our program, what, 55, 56 years ago. There's so much to say about him. And we'll say some of it next month on our 60th anniversary show. But I think he'd like it if we just did two things. First, 
urge you to call now to show your support of the station and the show that he birthed, the big broadcast, by calling 800-248-8850. Back then, you couldn't go to WAMU.org and click on Donate, as you can right now. And the second thing, play one of his very favorite episodes of his very favorite series. Murray, do you remember John Hickman's wonderful documentary about Gunsmoke? I do indeed. We offered it. It's a piece of work. It was We offered it as a thank you gift in one of our campaigns. And included in that six-hour doc was this episode that we're about to hear. You can listen to it while you're going to WAMU.org or calling 800-248-8850. It's called Bloody Hands, and it comes from April 2nd, 1955, CBS and Gunsmoke. Oh, hello, Chester. Oh, come on in, Doc. Ah, where's Matt? He ain't here. See, where have you two been the last couple of days? I haven't seen either one of you. Well, I just got back from Hayes City. Mr. Dillon sent me there to fetch some government papers. And you know what? I took the Santa Fe both ways, well, Doc. you did? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that beats riding. Uh, uh, but where's Matt, you say? Well, he left the note, but he didn't say exactly where he was at. Well, you mean he's out of town? That's what the note said. It seems somebody told him where he could find Jack Brand. Jack Brand? Well, what's he doing around here? I don't know. I guess Missouri got too rough for him. Why don't they handle their own outlaws instead of chasing him into Kansas for Matt to catch? Mr. Dillon says Brand's got three of his gang with him. You mean Matt's gone out alone after four men? Well, if I knew where he was, I'd go help him, Doc. Oh, well, there's nothing you can do about it, Chester. It worries me, though. That last hold-up the gang pulled, they say four men got shot down. Mm. Well, maybe they've quit. Maybe that's why they came to Kansas. You know, when you ever hear of a bunch of outlaws quitting? No, I guess not. I guess I was just talking to myself, Chester. Chester! Oh. Chester! Oh, that's what you're doing, Doc. Yeah. Oh. Uh, where is he? Well, there he is, sitting on that wagon. Oh, yes. Well, who's that with him? Some fella give him a ride, I guess. Hello, Mr. Dillon. Hello, Chester. <laughs> Doc? Hey, you lose your horse, Matt? We left our horses out at Bowers Ranch and borrowed this wagon. One of his riders will bring him in tomorrow. Who's this with you, Mr. Dillon? You've seen his picture, Chester. Oh, my goodness. It's Jack Brand. Let's get on, Brand. You first. For sure. How come you let him drive the wagon, Mr. Dillon? To keep his hands full, Chester. Here, take my shotgun and lock him up. Yes, sir. Where's the others? I thought he had three men with him. Well, tell him, Marshal. Tell him where they are. They're in the wagon, Chester. Out of that canvas. Mm-hmm. Well, are they all dead, Matt? Uh, all three of them? They're all dead, Doc. Bloodiest Marshal I ever saw. It's just a wagon load of meat to him. That's enough, Brandon. It ain't hardly enough. I never seen such killing. Oh, what happened, Mr. Dillon? It doesn't matter. They put up a fight, and I had to take them. Well, I'll tell him what happened. Your lawman here hid himself in the grass and just waited for us to come out of that cabin. And then he yelled, so naturally we headed for cover. Who wouldn't? He just laid there, and he cut loose of the shotgun. 
tore up two of the boys that way. Then he stood up and he cut down Hank Smith with a six-shooter. How come you got out of it, Brain? I jumped back in the cabin and I give up. We weren't putting up a fight. He spooked us yelling like that. Make any man jump. Oh, I suppose you're trying to say that you wouldn't have shot him. We tried to shoot him. Who wouldn't? Any man's got a right to defend himself. Oh, well, I never heard of resisting arrest called self-defense. I never heard of no marshal shooting down everybody on the landscape. Lock him up, Chester. Get going, Brain. Well, he actually think he was killing hogs, not men. Shut up and keep bloody as marshal See, how come you brought the bodies back, Matt? Why didn't you just bury them out there? I wanted more witnesses than me to identify him, Doc. Might save trouble when Bran goes to trial. You say you were mighty lucky taking four outlaws that way, man. Yeah. yeah and you kill three out of... Oh, say, wait till people around here hear about this. Bran's right, Doc. It's a lot of killing. An awful lot. Oh, no, you don't. You don't get to thinking about it too much now, man. It's your job. You did it. So it's over. It's over? Wait till tomorrow or the next day. There'll be somebody else. There's always another man to kill. Oh, no, that's not the way to look at it, man. I, I've never heard of you shooting anybody you didn't have to. No, I never did. But sometimes that doesn't help much. So you look tired, man. Well, I haven't slept since I rode out of here two days ago. Well, now you get some rest, and you'll feel better. Sure. Brand's snug in jail, Mr. Dillon. He don't like it much, but I told him not to try kicking his way out, that I'd be sleeping in the office. We'll both be sleeping in the office, Chester. I'm too tired to walk to my room. Uh, take care of this wagon. And what's in it, will you? Mm-hmm. You and Doc can identify those men. We'll write it out on paper in the morning. All right, sir. Uh, I'll be coming to bed about midnight, but I'll be real quiet. Nothing could wake me, Chester. Not tonight. Sure, I shouldn't wake him up and tell him. It can wait until morning, Chester. Matt's too tired to do anything about it tonight, anyway. Mm, I guess you're right. Yeah, of course I am. Yeah. Okay. Good night, Chester. Good night, Doc. Don't go for my... No, don't do it. I tell you to leave the gun alone. Mr. Dillon? No. Don't make me kill you. Don't make me kill another man. Mr. Dillon, No, I've spilled enough blood. I don't want to kill you. No. Mr. Dillon, wait. No. It's me, Mr. Dillon. It's Chester. There ain't nobody here. What? You you was asleep. You've been dreaming. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I like lamb. No, 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 no. It's all right, Chester. My gracious, I, I, I come in and I heard you talking and I, I thought somebody was here. That moonlight ain't too bright. I couldn't see good at first. Sure. My, I had to yell at you a couple of times before he woke up. You was dreaming you was in a fight, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was dreaming. Nightmares like that, they're, they're just terrible, ain't they? There's a bottle in the desk drawer over there, Chester. Get it for me, will you? Yes, sir, I know where it is. I used to have nightmares sometimes when I was a boy, but I don't get them much no more. Here it is, Mr. Dillon. A good stiff drink will do you good. Uh, thanks, Chester. past midnight. Jack Brand awake? No, he'd be bellering if he was. But, Mr. Dillon, now that you're awake, there's something I ought to tell you. Oh, what? Well, me and Doc was having a drink over at the Alfreganz, and a fellow come in there and started talking real loud. Talking about what? Well, sir, mostly about how he's going to tree-dodge and how he's going to tell you, too. Oh? He says he's a friend of Jack Brand's, and he's heard about how you caught him and all. What's his name? Stanger. Joe Stanger. Yeah, I know him. Well, do you think he'll cause trouble? Probably. But I'm not going to worry about him tonight. Yeah, no, sir, that's what me and Doc figured. He won't try nothing tonight. All the same, keep your gun handy, Chester. Now let's try to get some sleep. Chester, it's hardly yes, dawn. Yes, sir. I'd like to throw a bucket of water on him. Yes, sir. Oh, shut up, Brand. I'm coming. Time, too. Cut out that cussed yelling, Brand. What's the matter with you? Come on over here. Just unlock this cage, Chester. What? I'm holding a gun on you. Can't you see it? Where'd you get that gun? Come on over here, I said. Well, the keys ain't over there. They're there. Hanging on the wall down here. I'll get it. Don't take your own sweet time about it. I've been in this chicken coop long enough. Drop it, Brand. What? Oh. Oh. You're not hurt. I hit that gun. I got the keys, Mr. Dillon. I'll get his gun out of there. All right, go ahead. Stand back, Brand. You like to bust my hand. You're lucky. Eh, lucky didn't kill me, I suppose, just like you kill everybody. Shut up. I got it, Mr. Dillon. It ain't no good anyway. Not now. Where'd you get that gun, Brenda? I made it, Marshal. Don't be smart. Oh. Wait a minute. Joe Stanger brought it to you. He tossed it to you right through those bars on the window. I didn't, didn't know Stanger was in town. Didn't you? 
Chester, get some boards and nail them over the window so nothing can get through it. I'll fix it, Mr. Dillon. Oh, wait a minute, Marshal. That's the only window in here. You can't board it up. You'll get enough air. No, but it'll be dark. I don't like it dark. Don't you? When you get it fixed, we'll go to breakfast, Chester. It won't take long, Mr. Dillon. If you didn't know before, you now know why Gunsmoke was the king of what was called in the 50s the psychological western. We'll hear the conclusion of that spring 1955 episode in just a few minutes here on the big broadcast on WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Co-producers Jill Errold Bailey and Douglas Bell are with me, as is Mike Kidd, our audio engineer. And first off, we want to say thank you to everyone who's called 800-248-8850 tonight. 800-248-8850 or gone online to WAMU.org to click on Donate. Tonight's your only chance to support the big broadcast and Gunsmoke during this member week and to support the restoration of Ed Walker's 1932 Victor Cabinet Radio as a keepsake to WMU. He donated it a decade ago, and we'll be partnering with the National Capital Radio and Television Museum in Bowie, which Ed actually helped to establish uh, establish it like over 20 years ago. Um, they're going to refurbish and restore the radio, uh, generously donating their labor and expertise. We're covering the cost of the needed parts, which are very hard to come by, to ensure that the radio can be heard as a radio once again. So please go now to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850. And we've already heard from 93 members who have joined tonight. We want to say thank wow. you so much to those 93 members. You can be 94 or 95. And I do want to mention that if you're already a member, you can make an additional donation or increase your sustaining membership contribution tonight. Now, if you would like to give towards that goal of restoring Ed's radio, we have heard from Susan in Washington, D.C., Thomas from Silver Spring, Daniel from Tacoma Park, Jeff from Falls Church, Mary from Vienna, and Duncan from Fredericksburg, Texas. Fredericksburg, wow. Texas. Wow. <laughs> I was already to say Virginia. Right. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much to everyone who's called. Also, we have some beautiful messages here. Michael says, I have been listening to the big broadcast for over 20 years. Only way to spend a Sunday evening. And Stephen and Leslie say, Murray is a Sunday night tradition. Aww. We miss Ed. I wish my I wish my children thought that. No, I'm teasing. About it. Anyway, you know they also miss Ed. <laughs> they do, and we all did. You know, and even John Hickman, who helped uh, bring us Gunsmoke and and who championed that show. More about him in a second. But um, you know, we've been talking so much tonight, Jill, about Ed's radio that we haven't talked about some of the other gifts that we have. There is for. Maybe the first time it's a big broadcast mug. We had a, a Gracie Allen for president mug, but mm-hmm. this is our big broadcast mug that can be yours. And um, it's it's it. There is also a. Uh, you can also get if you prefer. You can get a. Um, I'm looking for the. There it is. It's uh, seven dollar. No, it isn't. What what's the? Uh, there it is. The mug. It's twelve dollars a month. Whew, thank right. you. Mm-hmm. Or uh, one hundred and forty four dollars one time gift. You can get. A uh, Hot Jazz Saturday Night mug or, of course, we would prefer, as much as we love raw, that you get a big <laughs> broadcast mug. And um, it's it, the best part about this mug is we have a brand new logo. It's very dynamic. It's a great logo. And, uh, and there's no picture of me, which is great. And I don't <laughs> promise not to use that joke 
a little later on tonight as well. Um, but go now to 800-248-8850 on your phone or WAMU.org on your advice, on your device, on your advice, on my advice, <laughs> and please show your support now. That's right. And those are all thank you gifts that you can select when you go to WAMU.org or when you call and speak to a person at 800-248-8850. Those are our thank you gifts to you. And we do have different levels of giving. So only you know what works well for you. Um, but we hope that you will take some time and to consider what this show means to you, um, what it has meant to you in the past and, and how much you would love to continue Continue to dial in and uh, I'm thinking the tune in to your radio um, every Sunday night and continue to hear this. Um, you know, six months from now, a year from now, when your kids are growing up, you want to be able to turn on uh, Sunday night and turn on the big broadcast. So go to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850 and choose your level of giving now. And, you know, it's not just what you hear Sunday nights. Support all of your favorite programs. The return of Hot Jazz Saturday Night, which was real cause for jubilation. Support real journalism that's independent, that's local, that's national, international. 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. And now, as promised, here's the second part of an extraordinary Gunsmoke episode so certified by John Hickman, the founder of and longtime host of the big broadcast. Listen to the credits at the end of the show, and you'll hear John acknowledged as a co-producer. That's because we've taken this audio, this copy of the show, from Mr. Hickman's landmark documentary of Gunsmoke. Here's the conclusion of Bloody Hands from the spring of 1955 and Gunsmoke. It's been some time since I've been out on the plaza this early in the morning, Mr. Dillon. Oh, weren't you up gambling all night last Saturday, Chester? Oh, well, that's different. Oh, how? Well, I've been asleep all night this time. Things look different when you had a good night's sleep. Yeah, they sure do. You didn't have no more nightmares last night, did you? No, but I didn't sleep well. You you ought to take some time off. Go out buffalo hunting or something. Yeah, maybe you ought to take a lot of time off. Wait a minute, Chester. What? That's Joe Stanger coming there. Say, by golly, it is. What's he doing up so early? Maybe he wants to find out why Jack Brand hasn't shot his way out of jail yet. Well, he won't throw him no more guns. Not the way I got that place boarded up now. Get out of the way, Chester. Yes, sir. Morning, Marshal. You're up early, Stanger. Train leaves for Abilene in about an hour. Going to Abilene? I'll be back next week. Jack Brandle'll still be in jail. Well, I heard you caught him. Good friend of yours, isn't he? Sure. But I ain't part of his gang. I never was. Yeah, I know. Of course, there ain't much gang left now. No. You're a pretty rough man, Marshal. When I have to be. Don't it ever bother you, killing people the way you do? Stanger, I shot a gun out of Jack Brand's hand this morning. You come by the office later and I'll give it back to you. Now, what would I want of a smashed up six-shooter? It's yours, isn't it? I'm wearing mine. 
I ought to throw you in jail, too. What for? To get you out of sight, if nothing else. I wouldn't go to jail, Marshal. Not without a fight, I wouldn't. I ain't afraid of you. You want to try it? Go ahead. Go ahead, draw. No. What's the matter, Marshal? I thought you liked killing men. What's holding you back? You're going to have to fight me sooner or later. Get out of here, Stanger. Go get on your train. <laughs> Wait till I tell everybody about Matt Dillon. How he's lost his nerve. Get out, I said. Well, I don't want to shoot down a man that won't draw. Not today, anyway. But I'll be back, Marshal. Next week. Why didn't you shoot him, Mr. Dillon? He's nothing but a big bluff. Just so you go on to breakfast, I'm going back to the office. What? Why, you told me... You heard me! Well, yes, sir. Okay, Mr. Dillon. Can full of coffee, Mr. Dillon. Thanks, Chester. I'm gonna put it right here. What you doing, writing a letter? It's a telegram. Here, Chester. Take this down to the depot, will you? Sure. I want it to go out right away. U.S. War Department. What are you telegraphing Washington about? That's my resignation, Chester. What? I'm quitting right now. Why, you can't do that. I've done it. Oh, I don't believe it. You're funny. Now. A man can quit a job, Chester. I've quit jobs before. Well, I know, but this is different. What's different about it? The government doesn't own me. But think what'll happen if you ain't marshal here. There are other men can be marshal. Mr. Dillon. What? You ain't doing this because of, well, what Joe Stanger said. That I've lost my nerve? No, he's wrong about that. And he's wrong about my liking to kill men, too. You never killed nobody unless you had to. And now I don't have to. I'm through, Chester. I knew I was through when I didn't draw on Stanger this morning. I've killed my last man. I just don't know what to say, Mr. Dillon. I've hated this job since the day I took it. I never did have a taste for killing, and now they can find somebody who has. And he'll make a better marshal than I ever was. That ain't true. Go send the telegram, Chester. I'll be at Delmonico's having breakfast. And with a good appetite for a change. breakfast, I went to my room and got some of the sleep I'd missed the night before. 
And I slept good. It was as though what was past was past. And none of it bothered me now. I didn't have to face it happening over and over again. And when I woke up, I felt better than I had in years. I even felt a little cleaner somehow. There wasn't going to be any more blood on my hands. Washington, as usual, was pretty slow answering my telegram. A week later, I still hadn't had an answer. But I didn't care. I'd quit. And that was that. I even began to enjoy myself for a change. Like the day I finally took Kitty fishing. Matt? Hey, Matt. Look, I got another one. Huh? Well, throw him back, Kitty. We got more than we can carry now. I will not throw him back. Hold still, you. <laughs> Come on over here in the shade. You've done enough fishing. Look at him, Matt. Isn't he a beauty? Yeah. He's bigger than any I caught. Why don't you throw him in the sack and then sit on here, huh? Say, you're right. I didn't know we'd caught that many. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a fish fry tonight, huh? Well, we can feed half a dodge with all those. <laughs> well, I doubt it. You ever see Chester go through a mess full of fish? <laughs> the last time he starved himself a couple of days in advance. Maybe we can kind of sneak up on him tonight. Ah, uh, no. He knows we're out here. Maybe you ought to go into the business, Matt. Oh? What business? Fishing. You could do it for a living. <laughs> well, I am going to have to find something to do for a living, I guess. Well, it won't hurt you to loaf for a while, Matt. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. You know something, Matt? What? I think this is the first time I've ever seen you that you weren't wearing a gun. <laughs> it is. And I'm enjoying that, too. Someday, maybe nobody will wear guns. Yeah, maybe. <sighs> you know something, I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> you're lazy. So lazy, you're probably going to starve to death before you find a new job. I don't care. <laughs> Matt, look, somebody's coming on horseback. No? Uh-huh. Hey. Well, that's Chester. Oh, he's as lazy as you are. Imagine taking a horse to come this far. Oh, Chester hates walking. Besides, he looks like he's in a hurry. Oh, maybe he couldn't wait for that fish fry. Mr. Dillon. Hello, Miss Kitty. Look in that sack, Chester. We got about 30 catfish already. Well, that's fine, Miss Kitty, but Mr. Dillon, Joe Stanger's in town. Oh? Well, it doesn't matter to me, Chester. But you don't understand. Understand what? What I come to tell you. Stanger's at the Alifaganza. A while ago, he had words with one of the girls there, and she slapped him, and he pulled out his gun, and he killed her. What? Who was the girl, Chester? Kate Hawkins. Oh, no. That's who it was, Miss Kitty. And then the bartender tried to stop him, and Stanger shot him, too. And I hear he's going to die. I grabbed a horse off the hitch rail and come right down to tell you, you've got to stop him, Mr. Dillon. I'm not marshal anymore here, Chester. I quit. Oh, that don't matter. It does to me. You mean you're going to let Joe Stanger walk around Dodge and shoot everybody that gets in his way, including women? I'm through killing. I told you that. Who's going to stop him, then? You're the only man around here that'll go up again him, and you know it. That may be true. But I'm still not going to do it. Wait. 
Mr. Dillon. Wait a minute. I, I've been thinking a lot about all this lately, and there's something you've been overlooking. Oh? Men like Stanger and Brand, they got to be stopped. I'd do it if I could, but I can't. I ain't good enough. Most men ain't. But you are. It's kind of too bad for you that you are, but that's the way it is. And there's nothing you can do about it. Not now. It's too late. It's way too late. Give me your gun, Chester. Chester. Want my holster? I'll carry it in my belt. Oh, Kitty. Chester will help you carry the fish back. Sure, Matt. Sure. by John Hickman and Norman MacDonald starred William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. The music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Bill James, Ray Kemper, and Tom Hanley. This is George Walsh speaking. predecessor John Hickman's favorite episodes from Gunsmoke the day after April Fool's Day in 1955 and from this fall membership campaign edition of the big broadcast here on WAMU 88.5. We're thanking you for your support and you can continue that support by calling 800-248-8850, 800-248-8850 
or visiting WAMU.org and clicking on Donate. It only takes two minutes. We've clocked it. And you can even do better than two minutes to sign up for the first time or to increase your monthly support. And that's what what is the most popular way of giving, reliable monthly support. You sign up to give monthly and your commitment will be, believe me, an essential part of WAMU's future and the future of the big broadcast. It's quick and easy. Go now to 800-248-8850. That's the phone number or WAMU.org. And I do want to point out, because people often ask us, well, where does this money go? Um, you know, what does it take to put on a show like the big broadcast? That we have engineers who take time to clean and restore the audio where possible. Uh, we, we have a budget that allows us to collect new collections and new digitizations of audio, of rediscovered transcription discs, reels, tapes. There is some effort into putting on a show like the big broadcast every Sunday night. I hope we make it really? look easy. Um, but, but, you know, what is easy is your sustaining membership, setting that up. It, it couldn't be easier. So, um, if you go to wamu.org, you can choose your level of giving. You know what works for you. Figure out what that is, what you can do a month. If that's $12 a month, if that's $20 a month, I mean, we're talking about a month, right? So break that down over the course of the month. Figure out what you would like to do, what, how you can give, and go to WAMU.org, click on Donate, choose that amount, and then you get to choose a, a, a nice thank you gift on top of that. Um, you can also call 1-800-248-8850. And if you go to the $50 a month, here's something we, we've done for you. Go to the $50 a month level, which is, after all, less than 2 bucks a day. And we have brought back the WAMU Mason Jar Radio. It's a portable radio. It's housed in a little tiny mason jar. It is the cutest thing you've ever seen. It's tuned exclusively to WAMU 88.5. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm so upset about having to have like six remotes just to watch something <laughs> on TV. And this is great. You just turn it on and there's WAMU. It's the only station it's tuned to. You go right now to WAMU.org, click on Donate, request it for a $600 one-time gift or a $50 a month sustaining membership, or call 800-248-8850. And we do want to say we've heard from 108 new and renewing members tonight, so thank you so much. Wow. Um, oh, sorry, 111 new and renewing members tonight. Even as we speak, it we goes up. We have under $9,000 to go. So... If you think about it, what is your part of that 9000 It doesn't have to be a lot. Um, we've already heard from 111 and that got us that first chunk of the way. We're so close. So please choose what level of giving you can do, what works for you. Go to WAMU.org or call 1-800-248-8850. Under $9,000 to go. We can do it, team. Let's make it. Uh, 1-800-248-8850-WAMU.org. We've gotten some lovely comments. Uh, Nancy from Fairfax, Virginia, she's giving monthly. She says, it was wonderful to hear Ed Walker's voice. We couldn't agree more. The big broadcast has been my Sunday evening go-to event for over a decade for a special way to relax before the week ahead. Oh, I'm so glad, Nancy, you said that because we exhort people to relax. Use your imagination. That's what we're here for. And you've taken us literally. We're so so humbled and proud. Uh, Monica from Vienna, Virginia, made a gift, and she says, I love all caps, the big broadcast, practically since its early beginnings. Here's to another 60 years to to WAMU. Thanks so much, Monica. And finally, Brenda from Alexandria made a gift, and she says, I 
listening to Ed and the big broadcast is something I shared with my mother and a memory that I cherish. Keep keep up the good work, Murray and team. Thank you for that. And um, that gets us back to the Joy Boys and Ed Walker. And there's another gift we'll tell you about. It's a Bluetooth speaker that looks like a vintage radio, not a floor model like the one we're going to restore with your help when you call 800-248-8850 or go to WAMU.org, Ed Walker's radio. But this is a cute little uh, thing. It's a, it's a Bluetooth speaker. You can play anything through your phone or computer on it and go to 800-248-8850 now and request that. Well, you asked for it. And even if you didn't, here's the third episode in the Joy Boys soap opera parody, As the Worm Turns, from 1973. You'll hear both Willard Scott and Ed Walker lose it. That is, they break up laughing. But breaking up laughing was part of the act. It was it was a kind of conceit that let their listeners in on the joke that they were just two radio guys having fun. And that makes it more fun for us, too. Here they are, big broadcast founder Ed Walker and his partner, the always fun Willard Scott, together as the Joy Boys. Continuing true to life drama as the worm turns. The story of life today. In a big city hospital, the joys and heartaches, the intrigues and the involvements of big city hospital living. And brought to you by Scuff No More, the miracle plastic product of the space age to spray your children to protect them from prickly summer heat rash, chiggers, and weeds indigenous to the area. It is still early afternoon in Big City Hospital. We find ourselves on the third floor once again in the office of the psychiatrist, Dr. Wilfred Waddell Winonona. His nurse, Florence Nightenhawk, has ushered into the office a Mrs. Helen B. Overshoes. Mrs. Overshoes has a husband with a very unique problem as she explained to the doctor. My husband thinks he's a horse. (laughs) Well, the doctor, never having been confronted with this one before, was in the process of asking Mrs. Overshoes some relatively personal questions. Yesterday, we discovered that Mr. Overshoes didn't speak much at the breakfast table, Mrs. Overshoes finding it difficult to understand him because he kept his head in an oats bag during the course of the breakfast. Today, the questioning continues as we hear the doctor speak. Well, this is one of the most unusual cases I've ever been confronted with. I'm, uh, no, thank you, I don't care for the lump of sugar, Mrs. Overshoes. Can, uh, I, can I wet you down with a hose? Yeah. No, you see, I don't, I don't think... Clifford I'm a likes horse. that. Clifford you li- mean he actually likes you to hose him down? Every, yes, <laughs> occasionally. Every morning after his morning romp. I see. Here, Clifford goes out in the garage and I hose him down and then give him a rub down and usually rub some wintergreen and a little spot of ginger here and there to oh, he really him up during the, the Well, it sounds as though you have a wonderful togetherness. In your relationship, do you... uh... You have to understand that we, in our own strange way, we love each other. He calls me his filly, and I I call him my stallion. How long has he felt that he was a horse? (laughs) Oh, I guess about five years now, Doc. Do you recall at what point in his life he began to think? Yes, I do. What was the question again? I said, 
uh, what time in his life did he think he was a horse? It was just after that walk we took at Haynes Point. I don't understand. Five years ago. What happened on that walk? He made it in two minutes and ten seconds, all the way around Haynes Point. Well, what have we here? Ooh, Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> Looks like Mr. Overshoes has got quite a pair of pedal extremities on him, as he made it around Haynes Point in just flat two minutes. Hmm? Hmm? Hmm. You won't want to miss tomorrow's exciting episode as the worm continues to squirm. Well, you'll hear Mrs. Overshoes say, Why, Doctor, I don't know how. I just don't know how. I just don't know how. You said that three times. <laughs> the worm turns <laughs> is written for radio. <laughs> by Denise and Damon DeValero. Produced by Tondaleo T. Thomas. This is a Damon Del Tando production and comes to you from Pimlico. I just don't know how. It's my line, oh. dummy. The Joy Boys. The biggest hit in Washington radio for some 20 years. It's a long time in broadcasting. Willard Scott, who passed away just a couple of weeks ago, and Ed Walker, the founder of this program, The Big Broadcast, from WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. With me is our, our, our two co-producers tonight, Jill Errold Bailey and Douglas Bell. And longtime listeners will know that Douglas Bell was for quite a while our audio engineer. And speaking of Ed Walker, um, Douglas, he, he was involved in every facet of radio, including engineering in a way, right? In a way. In fact, he was very influential here in the start of WAMU itself. And we've been looking back at the history of WAMU as we prepare to celebrate our 60th anniversary next month. You know, Ed Walker was a student at American University. He helped launch AU's first student-run campus radio station, our predecessor, which was called WAMU AM, back in 1951. And then 10 years later, in 1961, we got on the air with a 4,000-watt transmitter purchased from WGBH in Boston, and Ed was instrumental in helping AU secure that purchase. So Ed really is one of the founders of WAMU. We don't just love him for you know the 25 years nearly that he was, more than 25 years, he was the host of the big broadcast, but he really is instrumental in our history. And so this project tonight that we are uh, fundraising in part for is just a really exciting opportunity for us to honor his legacy. And Jill and I are humbled by the by being the, the stewards, really, uh, of this legacy program. We hope it'll be here for our children and our grandchildren. You can make help sure that it is. 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. There's no better way to help kick off WAMU's 60th anniversary celebration than by calling right now, 800-248-8850 or going to WAMU.org to support the station's longest-running show, The Big Broadcast. Some Dragnet episodes, uh, and you may wonder why I just abruptly changed gears, because we're going to hear Dragnet now. And some of those episodes have to do with domestic problems, others with exciting chases, and occasionally with dangerous undercover work. Then there are the cases that do involve real detective work, like the one we're about to hear. It's called The Big Beer, and you might crack open a cool one while you're calling 800-248-8850 or going to WAMU.org and listening to this August 16th, 1955 episode of NBC's 
Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A night watchman has been stabbed to death in a downtown appliance store. There's no apparent motive for the killing. No lead to the suspect. Your job, find him. documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. Monday, August 8th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out a homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Warman. My name's Frank. We are on the way out from the office, and it was 8.26 a.m. when we got to the corner of 7th and Ducommon Streets. Bentley Appliance Company. Sure, a big place. Huh? Yeah. There's somebody coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you want? Police officers. Oh, yeah, just a minute. Come on in. Thanks a lot. I guess it'd be a good idea if I locked the door again, huh? If you'd like to, yes, sir. Good idea. Hey, no, it's all secure. Uh, my name's Ralph Bentley. I'm the one who put in the call. This is Frank Smith. My name's Freddy. I do. I do, sir. Where's the body? Oh, back here in the stock room. Who found him, Mr. Bentley? Our building superintendent, Curtis Allman. Is he here now? Yeah, he's upstairs. All right. I suppose you'll want to talk to him. Yes, we will. Oh, I'll get it. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. Oh, uh, over here. It's behind these packing cases. Uh-huh. Well, you can see there he was stabbed. Yeah. I sure a mess, isn't it? Yeah. What's his name? Mr. Bentley? Hmm? The victim's name? Oh, uh, uh Clyde Maddock. M-A-T-I-C-K? Uh, I-K, no C. Mm-hmm. What time was the body discovered? It must have been about 7.30. That's when Holman comes to work. Did he find it right away? Well, I don't know. I haven't been able to get him to say much. When I came in, he was just standing here looking at the body. He was kind of numb, you know. Mm-hmm. What time did you get here? Must have been about 7.45. That's when I called you, wasn't it? Yes, sir, about that time. Yeah, that's when it was, on uh, 7.45. How long has this Matic worked for you? Oh, three years. Uh, almost four. Mm. Has anything in here been disturbed? Well, not that I know of. I don't think Holman touched anything. I couldn't talk to him very much, but I'm pretty sure he knows enough to leave things alone. Uh-huh. Well, I sure can't understand it. What's that? Well, take a look around. It doesn't look like there's a fight. Does it look like it to you? No. Well, that's it. What do you mean? Well, it stands to reason it was somebody he knew, some stranger. There'd be signs he wouldn't just let somebody come up and stab him in the back, now, would he? Doesn't seem likely, does it? Well, in the three years he's been with us, I've never heard anyone say an unkind thing about Maddox. Not one. Man didn't have an enemy in the world. Well, that doesn't mean much. Hmm? One of his friends didn't like him then. Eight thirty a.m. We put in a call to the crime lab and asked them to come out and go over the scene. 
The manager led us upstairs to the main offices, and we met the building superintendent, Curtis Hallman. He was a small man in his early 50s. I don't care how it looks, Mr. Friday. I didn't do it. You got to believe that. I didn't have anything to do with it. Now, nobody says you did, Hallman. The officers just want to ask you some questions. Well, I don't want them to think I killed him. I don't want them to think that. What time did you find the body? I guess it must have been around 7.30, someplace around in there. Mm-hmm. You see, I just come in, locked the door after me, and then I was going to come up here and change my clothes. Yeah. I got my own closet down there in the hall. My, my own closet. Yes, sir. I was coming back, going upstairs, and I saw him just laying there. Right away, I knew he was dead. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to have nobody tell me that. I knew he was dead. What'd you do? Nothing. Couldn't. What's that? Couldn't do nothing. First time I ever saw a dead man. I don't know. I guess just stood there and looked. First time. Yeah, that's where he was when I came in. Yeah, I was just there. You see, I didn't kill him. Wasn't me. Somebody did it, but it wasn't me. All right, Alman, all right. Now, we was friends, Clyde and me. Friends. I, uh, I guess I should have told you he doesn't mean any harm. We understand. Played cribbage once in a while in the morning. Me and Clyde played cribbage. Was there anybody else in the store when you got here, Holman? Huh? You talking to me? Yes, sir. Did you see anybody else in the place when you got here? No, just me and Clyde. Only he was dead. How'd you get in? Got a key. See, right here. My own key. Mm. How many keys are there, Mr. Bentley? Oh, there's three out. I got one. Holman has one. Maddox had the other one. Mm-hmm. Have you contacted his family? Hasn't got one. As far as we know, he hasn't got any people. You can give us his address, though, can't you? Well, sure. No trouble at all. There's upstairs. What? Part of the deal we worked out when he started. A little room on the third floor. He gets that and a salary. Mm, real nice way he fixed it up. All painted bookshelves, a lot of books. All over the place, books. What if we could see it? Certainly. You like it. Real nice room. Nicer than mine. Wish I had it. Uh, we can go down this way. Want me to go up with you? Yes, sir, if you'd like to. Sure. I like Clyde's room. Uh, it'd be faster if we take the stairs. All right. Uh, here we are. All right, go ahead. Thank you. I guess Clyde had about every book printed. Great one for reading. That's so? Oh, yeah. All time had his face in the book. All time reading. Uh-huh. Smart. Knew all kinds of things. Just asked Clyde a question and he knew the answer. I was all time telling him he should go on the quiz shows. He'd have won them all. Knew the names of all the presidents, when they was elected, all about them. Is that right? Uh, it's right down this way. Right. I used to sit there and look through the books. Didn't make much sense to me, but Clyde sure liked them. All right, Holman, I'm sure the officers know what you mean. Well, just try and tell them, that's all. Tell them about Clyde. Sure. Oh, this is it. Oh, it's locked. you have a key? No, I don't. I got one. Got it on the ring. You want me to open the door? If you would, yeah. Sure thing. Glad to help you. Yeah, find the right one now. Here, you drop this. Um, why do you have a key to the room? Clyde gave it to me. Said it was all right for me to have it in case I won't clean up. He let me do that, clean up. Uh, all right, well, do you have the key? Uh, yeah, here it is. There you are. Hmm. Hey. Sure looks like there was a party in here. Yeah. Certainly didn't have any idea things like this went on. Oh, just look at this room. Beer bottles all over the place, glasses. Empty bottle. Well, this place is filthy. I was going to clean it up, Mr. Bentley. Honest, I was. Right after I finished the rest of the building, I was going to clean it up. Fourteen beer bottles, all of them empty. Boy, I don't see how a man could drink that much beer. Looks like he had some help, though. Huh? 
What do you got? Take a look at these glances. Yeah. Lipstick. Don't smart. touch them. Yeah, I'm sorry. Boy, that really does it. That's the capper. Sir? Oh, uh, when he took the job, I made it perfectly clear. No mistake about it, none at all. What do you mean? Beer drinking, I don't mind. He's got that right. But I told him there wasn't supposed to be any women up here. No. He knew it. Doesn't look good. Place of business just doesn't look good. Yeah. I told him if he broke the rule once, just once, he'd be sorry about it. That's what I told him. He's got no quarrel about it now. Huh? He's sorry. The crime lab arrived and started to go over the room. After photographs had been taken, the body was removed to the county morgue. Apparently, the victim had died of internal hemorrhage caused by three deep stab wounds in the back. He'd been dead about 36 hours. From questioning the other employees of the store, we were able to find out a little about the victim's background. All of them knew him as a quiet man who kept pretty much to himself. We asked about the women friends. They couldn't help us there either. The questioning continued. As far as I know, there wasn't anybody. You ever mention any friends to you? No, we didn't talk much. I didn't see him a lot. You know, he'd be in the halls or something like that, but we didn't talk much. Is there anything more you can tell us that might help? I don't think so. If I think of anything, I'll let you know. All right. Thank you very much. Is that all? Yes, ma'am. Well, sure you getting us nowhere, huh? Yeah. Let's have the next one, huh? All right. You come in now, Miss Lass? Yes. It's uh, Cora Lask. Is that right? That's right. My name's Smith. This is Sergeant Friday. I do. How are you? Like to sit down? Thank you. Guess it's about Mr. Maddock, huh? That's right. Awful thing to have happen. I work in the office, almost right under his room. Kind of gives me the creeps to think about it. Real creepy. Did you know him very well? Yeah, I guess you could say I did. I went to lunch with him a couple of times. Even had a couple of dates. Not flower-type dates, though. How's that? He didn't bring flowers. Oh, I see. We met after work and went to dinner. Nothing serious. Mm -hmm. Do you know any of his other friends? Oh, just about everybody in the place. There wasn't anybody that wasn't friends with Mr. Maddock. Everybody liked him. Is there anybody special? You mean like a girlfriend? That's right. I don't know. Unless maybe it was Bessie. Who's that, Miss? Bessie Rowan. Her and Mr. Maddock were pretty friendly. You ask me, I'd say might even have been serious. Mm -hmm. She worked here? Yeah, stockroom clerk, head of the department. I see. Pretty important job. Got charge of all the ordering. Yeah. You ever been in Mr. Maddock's room? I know you're just trying to do what you think is right, Mr. Friday. But I don't like what you're getting at. No offense, Miss Lask. Just a routine question. Well, the answer is no. I told you. I just went out with him a couple of times. That's all. I see. You remember that. Yes, ma'am. Is Miss Rowan here this morning? No, she isn't. It's a funny thing, too. What do you mean? It's not like her to miss a day's work. Long as I've been here, she never done it before. Always here. Always on time. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so funny. She called this morning and said she wouldn't be able to make it. You say why? Not really. Kind of talked around it, you know. Matter of fact, I didn't think she had a real reason for not coming in. How was that? The way she acted. Say, you don't think it had anything to do with Mr. Maddock, do you? I wouldn't know. I bet that's it. She knows something. That's why she's not coming in. That's the reason. It's possible. More than that, she knows something. I'll bet you on it. Bet you anything. No, I wouldn't be too fair. Huh? We'd like to see you win. Part one of The Big Beer, 
a Dragnet episode from the summer of 1955, and from the big broadcast. Part two is coming right up, but first I have to remind you that I'm Murray Horwitz. Our co-producers tonight are Jill Errold Bailey and Douglas Bell. Michael Kidd is our audio engineer, and this is WAMU Washington, your listener-supported NPR news station from American University, in HD at 88.5, on your smart speaker, and at WAMU.org. And I also have to remind you that this is the only opportunity you'll have to support Dragnet, as well as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Gunsmoke, and all the shows you hear on Sunday nights during the big broadcast. Before we get to the conclusion of this Dragnet whodunit, I want to bring in Jill and ask her what news she has for us during our fall membership campaign while you call 800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org and click on Donate. Jill, what do you got? All right. Well, the news update for this hour. We want to thank 129 members who have donated so far tonight. Thank you. We have just under 6400 to go on our $30,000 goal, which is just until 10 o'clock. So we know that we broadcast uh, past then, but... If you would like to help us get to that $3,000 goal, please call 1-800-248-8850 or go online to wamu.org and click on the donate button before 10 o'clock. Some of our donors this past hour, we have Elaine from Arlington, Howard from Washington, D.C., Elizabeth from Frederick, David from Annandale, Christina from Silver Spring, and Nancy from Reston. And then there's this blank space, which is your name, because you're about to call (laughs) 1-800-248-8850, or you're going online to WAMU.org, and you're choosing your level of giving, and then I get to say your name on air, and thank you. So please, go on to WAMU.org and choose your level of giving now. It's, uh, this blank space is here. We're holding it for you, but as Jill said, we don't, we don't have much. We can't hold it forever, folks. So right now, call 800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org. And when you do, you choose a giving level. It only takes a moment, as Jerry Herman said in Hello, Dolly. And, um, when, when you do and just take that couple of minutes to make your monthly sustaining gift, you can request a thank you gift. And the one that I think is of a special uh, interest to our listeners tonight is an, uh, a, a big broadcast mug, and it's our it sports our brand new logo, very dynamic, very somehow retro, retro and hip at the same time. Um, there are several mugs on offer this uh, fall campaign, including a hot jazz Saturday night mug, and uh, you have to specify which one you want. That's for a monthly gift of twelve dollars. It's just twelve bucks a month, or one hundred and forty-four dollars one time. Uh, there's also that sixtieth anniversary retro Bluetooth speaker I mentioned. It's a portable, rechargeable speaker. Looks like a retro radio. It's the perfect thing to listen to the big broadcast on, and it can be yours for a monthly gift of just $18. Uh, in my tradition, that means hi, it's life. Give $18 <laughs> a month or a one-time gift of $216, and you'll have this handsome 60th anniversary retro Bluetooth speaker by calling 800-248-8850 or going to wamu.org. And the retro Bluetooth speaker, by the way, that looks like a retro radio, 
That's the one that I really love when I was looking through this list, to be honest. And part of that is because it reminds me of this mission that we've undertaken tonight. Um, we have mentioned it earlier, but just in case you're just tuning in now, your support tonight is an investment in a very special project, which is supporting Ed Walker's legacy. A decade ago, Ed Walker donated his childhood antique 1932 RCA cabinet radio as a keepsake to WAMU. And this fall, WAMU will be partnering with the National Capital Radio and Television Museum to refurbish and restore Ed's radio for display at WAMU's Media Center. So when you go to WAMU.org or you call 1-800-248-8850, you are giving towards that special project. You can join Michael from Silver Spring, who says, the big broadcast, of course. Thank you for the Joy Boys this evening and a chance to help restore Ed Walker's radio. Well, thank you, Michael. We have just under $5,000 to go on our goal. We can do it. You can be the one that helps get us there. So go to WAMU.org or call 1-800-248-8850. Ed Walker, who means so much to really to the whole Washington community, certainly the Washington broadcast community. He was at our 50th anniversary 10 years ago, listed as one of the 10 founders of WAMU. And of course, we couldn't be here without him. And so please help us. You really want to see this radio. You can go to our Facebook page, The Big Broadcast, and see photos of it that uh, Douglas Bell took. It's it, And you can just see how great it's going to look once it's restored and refinished. This 1932 floor model Victor Radio. Go right now to 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. Thank you so much for your support. We have under $5,000 to go on our goal. We can get there with your help very quickly. So while you're doing that, calling 800-248-8850, you can listen to The Solution to the Mystery, Part 2 of The Big Beer from August of 1955 and Dragnet. checked all the employees of the store through R&I. Except for two drunk arrests for the janitor, Curtis Hallman, there was no record on any of them. We tried to contact Bessie Rowan at her home, but she wasn't there. The neighbors weren't able to tell us anything that might aid us in finding her. We asked them to notify us in the event she returned. At 12.46 p.m., an unidentified woman called the Bentley Appliance Company and asked for the victim. She was told that he was out and was asked to leave a phone number where she could be contacted. Frank and I checked with the phone company and found that the number was assigned to a public phone booth in a downtown department store. We drove over to the place and talked with one of the clerks. Yes, it seems to me there was a woman by the phone booth. Can you give us a description of her? Not a very good one, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Well, anything you can tell us might help. See, there is one thing, though. What's that? It might not mean anything. Well, what is it, ma'am? Her hair. Yeah. Real red. About the brightest red I've ever seen. Had to come from a bottle. Never saw any natural hair of that color. All right. Does that help you any? Well, we don't know yet. Oh, I didn't think it would. Just something you remember. Something kind of outstanding. Mm-hmm. I just thought of it. I figured it might be a way for you to remember if it's the one you're looking for. Well, if it is, we've got another way. <laughs> p.m. Frank and I went back to the city hall and checked into the office. There was a note in the book for us to get in touch with Sergeant J. Allen at the crime lab. He just finished his preliminary examination of physical evidence and wanted to go over his findings with us. Back here, Joe. Frank. Yeah. Okay. Well, how'd you do? Not bad. Here, take a look. Yeah. 
These are the beer bottles we found in the room, 14 of them. They're clean. Able to lift three good prints from one of the glasses. Enough for identification? If you come up with a finger. Not enough for classification, though. No. Anything else? Oh, it went over the room with a vacuum cleaner. Found this in the couch. Earring. Yeah. Imitation stone, Monning's gold filled. Nothing else on it. Mm-hmm. Any way of checking where it was bought, Jay? I'll be pretty hard. Costume jewelry, a lot of places make it. Even more in that cellar. Yeah. Found this handkerchief on the floor under the couch. No monogram. Any laundry marks? No. Went over with ultraviolet. There's nothing there. Is that it? Well, lipstick marks in the glasses we lifted up. Might be able to use them on identification. Yeah. You uh, come up with a motive yet? No. No, as near as we can tell, there wasn't anything stolen from the store. The victim had $36 in cash on him. Expensive watch, ring. None of it was touched. Mm. You got any more for us, Jay? Well, couldn't find the murder weapon. Wasn't in the room. We checked the rest of the place. Couldn't turn it. Any idea what it might have been, Jay? A sharp instrument. Probably a pocket knife. Three-inch blade. Oh, one more thing. Not sure about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it. Take a look. What do you got there? Hair. Found them on the victim's jacket. No way of telling how long they'd been there. The human? Yeah. Wherever they belonged to shouldn't be too hard to spot. What do you mean? Bright red. left the crime lab and drove over to the Bentley Appliance Company. We went up to the second floor and talked with the secretary again, Cora Lask. Sure, I can give you a description of Bessie. No trouble at all. Have you heard from her today? Not since this morning. I told you about that. You know how she wouldn't be in. Yeah. That's the only time. Now about the description. What color hair does she have? It's a blonde color. Dark or light? Kind of in between. I guess that's the reason she fixes it up. How do you mean? Touch up. Usually a sort of strawberry blonde, I guess you call her. Uh-huh. Last time she did it, I guess it was a week ago, she had an accident. Well? With a die. She did something wrong. Sure looked funny. How do you mean? What turned out wrong? Embarrassed her all over the place. Everybody was making cracks about it. She said she was going to redo it the first chance she had. Yeah. I kind of laughed myself. It was pretty hard to imagine. What's that? That color, red hair. Returned to the office and filled out the reports. At 6.18 p.m., we got a call from one of the suspect's neighbors telling us that she'd returned home. We drove out to talk to her. Yeah? Bessie Rowan? That's right. Who are you? Police officer. I'd like to talk to you. Well, I haven't got anything to say to you. Not going to do me much good, though, is it, huh? Is it? You're going to take me down to the pokey anyway, aren't you? Hmm. Aren't you going to? Might be better if we talk to you inside. Oh, well, then. Come on in. Make no difference where we talk. Not a bit. You ain't gonna believe me anyway. About what? That I didn't kill Clyde. You ain't gonna believe me, are you? Why don't mm. you tell us? All right, I will. What do you think of that, huh? What do you think of that? You alone here? No, I got three of my friends hiding in the closet. They usually don't come out this early, though. Wait until it gets dark. That's when they like it when it's dark. Mm-hmm. Now, you want me to tell you now, huh? Do you? About what? About Clyde. How he's dead. You want me to? Why don't you try? No matter what I say, you're going to believe what you want to, so it'd probably be easier if I went along with you, wouldn't it, huh? Might be. Okay, then. I killed him.
6.23 p.m., we continued to talk to Bessie Rowan. Frank went out to the kitchen and made a pot of coffee. After we'd gotten several cups down, Miss Rowan, she sobered up and was able to answer our question. I didn't mean it. I wasn't feeling very good. I guess that's why I said it. Did you see him Saturday night? Yeah. Where? After work. Met him and went to the place on the corner, had a couple of drinks, and then I came home. Mm. Ever been in his room? Went to me as a company? Yeah. Guess it wouldn't do any good to lie about it. Yeah, I've been there. When? I don't know. I guess the last time was a week ago. Somewhere in there, I had a couple of drinks. Mm-hmm. How'd you and Maddie get along? All right. We didn't set the world on fire. How'd you know he was dead? Heard it. Where? I'd rather not say. Mike's somebody in trouble. you got a good-sized piece of that right now. Why don't you tell us? A friend of mine. I called this morning. That's how you found out? Yeah. I guess his friend wasn't supposed to say anything. As soon as she did, she told me not to say anything. What time did you see Maddox last? I guess it was about 7.30. Right after we came out of the bar, he walked me back to the parking lot, and I came home. Uh, anybody vouch for that? No. You can prove it then, though. Maybe they changed the laws, huh? What do you mean by that? I always thought you had to prove I was guilty. They done away with that? No. Then start proving. Well, I'd get a coat and we'll go downtown. You gonna book me? We'll see. Gotta make a charge, don't you? If you want it that way. Never mind. I'll get a jacket. Where is it? Bedroom closet. You wanna show me? You don't trust anybody, do you? Let's get the coat, lady. That's the one. Okay. Here you are. The gentleman would hold it. Yeah. All set? Yeah, I guess so. Can you turn off the coffee? Yeah, I think so. You better be sure. I'm not going to come home and have to clean a burned coffee pot. Oh, don't worry about it. Huh? You might not be coming home. The woman was taken downtown to the city hall. Her fingerprints were taken, and we checked her name and description through R&I once more, but we failed to come up with a record for her. 8.15 p.m. While I talked to her in the squad room, Frank went down the hall. You're going to let me go home. As soon as you tell us the truth. I've told you everything I know. It's all you're going to get. Joe. Yeah. Here it is. What's that? The solution to the case? It might be. It's a report from Leighton Prince. Yeah? Your fingerprints match with the ones we found on some glasses in his room. What does that mean? You were in his room. I've already admitted that. You told us you weren't there Saturday. So he's a sloppy housekeeper. Now, we talked to the janitor. He cleaned the room Saturday morning. The glasses weren't there then. How about it, Miss Rowan? Make it easier if you give us a statement. Come on. All right, I was there, but I didn't kill him, and that's the truth. Go ahead. After we left the bar, he asked me to come up and have a nightcap. I did. Yeah? We had some stuff to talk over. What? We wanted to get married. We talked about it before. There was something hanging him up. I don't know what it was. Mm. I told him we couldn't go on like that anymore. It had to be either one way or the other. Either we'd get married or else we'd call the whole thing off. Yeah. He asked for a couple of days, said he'd clean up whatever the trouble was by then. Yeah. I told him to go ahead. That's all. I had a couple of drinks, and then I left, and I came straight home. What time did you get there? About 10, maybe 10.30. Why'd you lie to us? I don't know. I was drunk. You saw that. Yeah. I got scared. Figured sure you'd think I did it. Did Maddox have any other girlfriends? I don't know. We didn't talk about it. Did he mention anybody else? Yeah, I guess. A couple of times he talked about some girl that was giving him trouble, called him at work, you know, on his back. Told me he was trying to get rid of her. Possible she might have been the reason you couldn't get married? Mm, yeah, might be. You know anything about her? No, he didn't talk much about her. A couple of times he'd be hacked because she'd called the store, made a big scene. Said she was usually gassed. Said she was a real lush, way he put it, drunk most of the time. Mm-hmm. Funny, though. She didn't go for hard booze. Huh? Just drank beer.
chance that the empty beer bottles we'd found in the victim's room had been bought in the neighborhood, we began an immediate canvas of the liquor stores in the area. We gave the dealers a description of Clyde Matic, and we also asked if a woman had purchased 14 bottles of beer. In the first five stores, we drew a blank, but the clerk in the sixth told us that he had made such a sale on Saturday night to a woman. He was unable to tell us who she was, but he did say that he'd seen her several times in the neighborhood bars. We started to check them. Several bartenders knew the woman, but were unable to tell us her name or where we could find her. At 12.20, we stopped at a place called the Pink Pigeon. Yeah, I know her. In here all the time. She's a beer drinker. You know her name? Well, let me think. Uh, yeah, Gladys something. I don't think I ever heard the last part. Wouldn't make me unhappy if she didn't come back. What do you mean? Well, she's all the time tanked, loud, dirty mouth. Chick like that doesn't do the place any good. You know where we can get in touch with her? What's the matter? She done something? We'd like to talk to her. Well, sure. I didn't mean to stick my nose in where it don't belong. That's all right. You know where we can find her? I don't know. I, I guess her place would be as good as any. Well, where's that? A couple of blocks up. It's a brown house, second from the corner. You can't miss it. Just like her, a real mess. There's weeds all around. It's a brown house. All right, thank you. I'm glad to help out. I've been saying for a long time she was going to end up in real trouble. Been saying that for a long time. I've been telling everybody. Uh -huh. They didn't believe me. Well, they will now. We left the bar and drove over to the house the bartender had described. There was a light on in the front room when we got there. The name on the mailbox read, Mrs. Clyde Maddock. Yes? You're Ms. Maddock? That's right. Who are you? Police officer. Come on in. I've been expecting you. So wait a minute, I'll get a coat. That's all right, I'll get it. You kind of surprised me. How's that? I kind of figured you'd find me before this. Didn't think it'd take this long. Did you kill him? Yeah. He wanted a divorce, I wouldn't give it to him. Wanted to marry some floozy where he worked. He wouldn't give me a chance to work things out. I, I tried to convince him he was wrong. I told him if he tried to leave me, he'd be sorry. I tried to convince him wouldn't believe me. Or maybe he does now. Let's go. The story you just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 16th, trial was held in Department 97, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. <laughs> Gladys Markham Maddock was tried and convicted of murder in the second degree and received punishment as prescribed by law. Murder in the second degree is punishable by imprisonment for a period of from five years to life in the state penitentiary. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. From the summer of 1955, the Dragnet episode called The Big Beer. I'm Murray Horwitz. Co-producer Jill Errold Bailey's here. She's picked out a wonderful episode of Suspense that we're dying to share with you. But first, please go right now to WAMU.org and click on Donate or pick up your phone and call 
800-248-8850 and take advantage of your only chance to give to the big broadcast on a Sunday night this week. And you can join listeners like Heidi from Dumfries, Virginia, who is giving monthly. She's a monthly sustaining member. She says, my son, now 17, has listened to old radio shows since he was an infant. He never misses a show. Um, And I have one more to read here, and there's a reason why I'm reading both of these together. I'm sure you can guess it. This is from Mark from Washington, D.C., also giving monthly. He says, I have been a longtime listener of NPR, but over the last six months, the big broadcast is a new Sunday night ritual for me, and I need to do my part to ensure it is here for my kids. I'm getting a little choked up reading that. Yeah, really? what I love about that is is those comments show how much the big broadcast is a part of the WAMU legacy. I mean, it, it goes back and forth, right? The, the big broadcast is a legacy on WAMU. WAMU is a legacy right now. It is celebrating its 60 years of public service for six decades. WAMU has been committed to serving the community. And we do consider the big, the big broadcast as part of that way of serving the community. We started in 1964, not me, myself, um, and not Murray, but um, (laughs) the big broadcast did start in 1964, and it has been going, and it will continue to go because of members who have stepped up, like those two monthly sustaining members who have given. We have under $3,000 to go on our goal. 155 members so far tonight have given to make sure that the big broadcast is here on Sunday nights going forward. Please join them. Go to WAMU.org. Call 800-248-8850. And we have gotten these comments that say, just as, as you mentioned, Jill, what a part of people's lives this show has been for most of those 60 years. Mark from Washington, D.C. says, I've been a longtime listener of NPR, but over the last six months, the big broadcast is a new Sunday night ritual for me, and I need to do my part to ensure it is here from my kids. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mark. And, and, and just the fact that you're listening, the fact that you are, uh, that this is part of your life, that's reason enough to call 800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org and click on donate because the, you, without you, the show doesn't exist. The station doesn't exist. The, there's another big reason, I think, that over the years this has become an institution of which, Jill, you and I are just sort of the temporary stewards. Uh, and that is when you listen to these old-time radio shows, not only are you hearing some often great art. I mean, you think nothing of listening, of watching a, a, a movie from 1941. Why wouldn't you listen to an Orson Welles radio show from 1950, 1941? And, and I'm sorry, some of these comedians, Jack Benny, George Burns, Gracie Allen, they're as funny now as, as they were 75 years ago. So, but there's another reason, and that is just the way people talk to one another in these shows. Just the diction of old-time radio shows, there's a civility, there's a respect, there's a tolerance that unhappily we don't see in all of our media nowadays. 800-248-8850. If you value the big broadcast and and what it gives you and the kind of the vibe of old-time radio, go to WAMU.org and click on Donate. And Murray, I think that those values that you mentioned and the, um, you know, intrinsic quality of the art that old time radio is that we value on the big broadcast that our listeners value. 
it's something that we we put forward when we vote with our dollars, when we go to WAMU.org, we choose our level of giving, and, and we become sustaining members. You become a sustaining member to keep this show here. You know, in these past 18 months, you may have had a moment where you've reflected on how you choose to spend your time, um, how you choose to spend your resources, and without putting too fine a point on it, what you invest in. I know I have. Um, and this respite on Sunday nights, it's it's one of the longest running programs on public radio. And it's one of the last old time radio programs. And it's here because of listeners who invested and they either called 1-800-248-8850 or what the phone number was 40 years ago or 50 <laughs> years ago, or they went, or in the past 20 years, they've gone to WAMU.org, and so can you. And we hope that you will. So go to WAMU.org and choose your level of giving. It's a new fiscal year here at WAMU, so this this night really in many ways sets the tone. Please help us get off to a great start. It's our 60th anniversary year. It's our stewardship, as I said, of the big broadcast. Please keep it going. It's listener support that keeps it going. And we give you something that you don't get anywhere else. With all the great information and news you get from WAMU on the weekends, we give you context. We, we help you step back a little bit, take stock, and, and put things in perspective and learn a thing or two. So if that's what the big broadcast means to you, please go right now to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850. Now, Jill, I have a question. You grew up in New York City, right? Oh, yes. Born and raised. All right. So did you go to public school or private school? I am a proud public school graduate. I'm a graduate of LaGuardia High School of Performing Arts, for anybody who is listening oh. who may have gone there as well, um, which let me in despite its prestige. <laughs> I've been by it many, many times. And um, well, the reason I ask is my cousins, Bill and Carrie, lived downtown on the east side in Peter Cooper Village, and both of them got into these really competitive public high schools like uh, LaGuardia High, where you went, was for the performing arts. Bill went to Stuyvesant High, and his sister carried to Hunter College High. One was for boys, and one was for girls. Was it that way when, when you were a teenager? No, and in fact, my sister went to Stuyvesant High School, and wow. she's a girl. Okay, because... Well, a woman, the, no. the, the, <laughs> the reason I... And, and a very accomplished research scientist, I might add. Mm-hmm. reason I ask is... All of this is that we're about to listen to the first part of a suspense episode where a woman remembers a guy from her class at Stuyvesant, and back then that would have been impossible, That's right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. See, if you appreciate this kind of crucial information that you get <laughs> only here on the big broadcast, call 800-248-8850 right now or go to WAMU.org. Believe me, most of America wouldn't have had a clue when this thriller called Remember Me was broadcast on April 7th, 1952, as part of the CBS series Suspense. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you Mr. Dan Durier in a story based on fact. Tonight's presentation of Suspense. A young man holds up a shop, is cornered, kills. You've read the story in your newspaper. Tonight, Autolite recreates it and calls it Remember Me, our star, Mr. Dan Durier. 
In three minutes, it'll be over, Harry boy. No longer than it takes the Iceman to make a routine delivery. All you have to do is walk in and wave a gun. And then you got money in your pocket again. Easy. <laughs> Funny how they always turn to jelly when they see a gun. The light's still on in the window. The street's dark. Nobody around. Just right. And there he is. Inside, counting money. Well, you just made it. I was closing. What can I do for you? This is a stick-up. What? A stick-up, a stick-up. Come on, I want the money. No, you can't do this. You can't... This says I can. Now, put all your dough in a paper bag and hurry. But I don't have much money. This is a small business. I... Come on, empty that register. I won't. You get out of here. Out of the way. I'll get it myself. No, no. For a small business, you do okay. You can't take my money. I won't let you. Crazy old man. Get away from me. You can't rob me. You can't. You dirty hoodlum. Old fool. Asking for it. Gotta get out of here. Where's my hat? Up. Didn't think you'd still be open, mister. Who are you? Where's Mr. Leibowitz? He, uh, isn't here. He had to leave. Is Mrs. Leibowitz sick again? Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's sick. Again. Uh, I've been watching the store for him. I was just closing. Oh. Well, maybe I'd better run upstairs and see if there's anything I can do. No, uh, no. He, he took her to the hospital. They aren't here. Gee, I'm... Sorry to hear that. What are you looking at me for? Don't I know you? No, you don't know me. Look, I'm closing. You'll have to come back tomorrow. Harry. Harry Norris. Sure, we went to school together. You know me? Sure, from Stuyvesant High. I'm Ruth Shaw, remember? No, I don't remember you. No, I guess you wouldn't. But I remember you, Harry. Yeah. Guess you do. I just need a few things before you close. Here's the list. Yeah. Uh, you pull down the shades on the windows and throw the latch while I get them. Sure. Of all the people to run into, I haven't seen you since high school. Uh, let's see. Bread. Bread, bread. Oh, here. Coffee. Oh, where's the coffee? Right there above you. What? The coffee. Oh, oh. And, uh... Potato salad in the refrigerator. Look, do you have to have all this stuff right now? Well, of course I do. What's the matter? Nothing. Uh, I'll get the potato salad. You haven't changed a bit, Harry. I'd know you anywhere. You know, I never forget a face. Especially yours. <laughs> Too bad. She's kind of a pretty girl, but she had to walk in on me. She does remember me. She could put the finger on me, but fast when they find old man Leibowitz's body. Too bad. Now I gotta kill her, too, but not here. Somebody might have heard the shots and called the cops. I gotta get out of here and take her with me. But I gotta be careful. Make her think I belong here. Get the rest of her stuff and get out of here. Potato salad. What else do you... I thought you were pulling the shades down. They're down. What else do you need? That's enough for now. I have more than I can carry as it is. That's all, then? Yes. How much is it? Uh, three... 
Uh, and a half, even. Here, uh, two, three and a half. On a nose. Well, it was nice seeing you again, Harry. I'll run now and let you close. Wait, um, don't rush off. Oh, I'd better. I've kept you as it is. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I'll walk you. We can talk about old times. Don't you have to do anything before you close? No, all done. Here, I'll carry the groceries for you. Oh, that's okay. I can carry them. I only live around the corner on 3rd Avenue. Well, I'm going that way, too. I'll carry this for you. Come on. Well? I forgot. I need flour, too. Flour? Yes. The large bag there on the stand. I'll get it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Here. 60 cents. We'll charge it. Let's get out of here. I can carry the flour. All right, but you do need help with all this other stuff. Want me to get the light? Yeah. Please. There. Nice of you to carry the packages for me, Harry. It's nothing. Surprised I haven't run into you before, around the store. Well, this is the first time I watched the store for Mr. Leibowitz. He must have left in an awful hurry. He did. His wife was pretty sick. Do you have to walk so fast? Oh, no. Sorry. Where did you say you lived? On 3rd Avenue, just around the corner. You live alone? Yes. You, uh, you know, it's been a long time since high school. You've got a good memory for faces. I know. I don't remember you. You wouldn't. You didn't know me too well. You used to say hello sometimes when we passed in the halls. Oh? You were a big shot. Football player and all that stuff. All the girls had a crush on you, Harry. Did they? Sure. Been living in this neighborhood long? Too long. But the rent's cheap and I'm not far from work, so I stay here. I know what you mean. That's the place up ahead with the ivy on the fire escape. Groceries getting heavy? No, no. I gotta think fast. It's no good here on the street. Too many people around. Like she said, she lives alone. I have to get inside with her. Alone in her apartment. Then I can get rid of her. I wish she'd quit talking. She asked too many questions. And this potato salad stinks. I hate potato salad. I gotta get inside that apartment. This is it. Pretty crummy, huh? What's it like inside? Just as bad. I fixed my apartment up some, but it's the smell these old places have. Can't get rid of it. Well, I'd like to see it, see what you've done. Well, I don't know. The landlady's funny about visitors, and it's kind of late. Oh, come on. You can't carry all this stuff alone. After you, Ruth. Well, okay. No, you go on up. I have to throw the light switch. Which way? Upstairs. Right. The groceries are getting heavy. It's the first door on your right at the top. You could use more light on this stairway. That's not all this place could use. This it? Yeah. Here, I'll unlock it. Go ahead. Well, this is it. Home. Not bad. You fix it up by yourself? Yeah. Here, let me take the bag. Sit down while I put this stuff away. Sure. 
Yeah. You fix this place up okay. Nice view, too. Yeah, the L. Goes right past the window. But you get used to that, too. You should have seen it when I moved in. Really a mess. Then I went to work on... <gasps> I, uh... I thought you were in the other room. What are you doing? I got flour on my skirt. Oh. I put some water on for coffee. Good idea. Come in the other room, Harry. I want to show you something. What? A picture of you. Of me? In a football uniform yet. I still have our class book. Your picture's in it. Sit down. Yeah, sure. Funny running into you. I was going through the book a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking about you. Wondering whatever became of you. You were thinking about me? Uh-huh. You didn't know it, but I had a big crush on you when we were in school. No, I didn't know. I, um, I thought I was a big shot in those days. I couldn't see anything. You sure did. Look, here's a picture of the 4th of July dance in the gym. Yeah. Do you remember it? Uh, I'm not sure. You asked me for a dance that day. Was I surprised? We no more than started, and they stopped the music to take this picture. You ran off to find Mona Stark. Mona? You remember her. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember Mona. You were going with her when you quit school, weren't you? Yeah. What happened? We broke up. Why? I borrowed a car from a pal so we could drive up to Connecticut and get married. It was a big yellow convertible. Wanted to make a big impression. Mona liked to be impressed. Only my pal forgot to tell me it was a stolen car. What happened? Never saw her again. Saw a picture of her, though, on the cover of a secret detective magazine. She had a gun in one hand, a bottle in the other, and some guy was choking her. She looked good. Well, enough of the good old days. What are you doing now, Harry? For a living, I mean. Me? Oh, nothing worth talking about. How do you happen to know Mr. Leibowitz? Mr. Leibowitz? He's the sweetest old dear. He'll take credit right up to his ears. But people always get around to paying him. You must know him pretty well to be left in charge of the store. Well, I... What's that? It's the L. Goes right past the window. Shakes the whole building. How do you put up with that? You get used to it. Noisy, huh? Yeah. You could fire a cannon in here when it goes by and you wouldn't hear it. Hmm. You get used to it. I think the coffee's ready. Only take a minute. You could fire a cannon, and I'm only carrying a thirty-eight. Sure, all I have to do is sit and wait. We'll drink coffee and chat about the good old days. And when the L goes by again, I'll be able to walk out of here safe and sound. With nothing to worry about. Ruthie won't be up to remembering anything. She'll be dead. is bringing you Dan Durier with Charlotte Lawrence in Remember Me? Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
the first part of Remember Me, an episode of Suspense from the spring of 1952 and from the big broadcast on WAMU 88.5, where we're asking you to join our fall membership campaign. It only takes a minute, so please take that minute right now and call 800-248-8850, or go to wamu.org and click on Donate. I'm Murray Horwitz. With me is our co- actually our two co-producers tonight, Douglas Bell and Jill Errold Bailey. Hey, Jill. Hi there, everyone. Hi again. <laughs> Good to see you again. Yes, and um, and it's good to see Douglas with us here in the studio. <laughs> it's so good to have him back with us. Um, before Douglas tells you a little bit more about uh, public radio, I do have some comments here that he gave me um, from some of our listeners who have called in or gone online. Uh, I have to lead with this one, and um, that is from... Akia, I hope I said that correctly. Um, Akia from College Park, Maryland. She's giving monthly and says, I'm so glad I stumbled upon the big broadcast a few years ago while driving one Sunday evening. Even when I've traveled abroad, I made time to tune in. Keep up the great programming. Oh, so thank you, thank you so much. And I want to, I wanted to bring that one up, um, in particular because it, it's a great point, right? This person stumbled upon the big broadcast, stumbled upon old time radio. You know, in this time of uh, internet and and uh, you know, you can have CDs and there's there is old time radio you know out there in the universe. One can, if they have a dedicated mission, go to the library and find some of this. But you may not, you may not know about it. And here we have old time radio finding a new audience because the big broadcast is here on WAMU on Sunday evenings. Four hours of dedicated airtime WAMU gives to the big broadcast, and that's something that's really special. We are able to do that because listeners in the past 60 years of WAMU have given the funds to keep that going, have invested in it. So you can do that. You can go to WAMU.org. You can choose your level of giving. You can continue to make sure the big broadcast is here on Sunday evenings for other people to stumble upon and share the love with them. Or you can call 1-800-248-8850. It's a great point, Jill. Thank you. And before I turn to Douglas, tell us just really briefly, there's a comment here in honor of Ed Walker's many years on the big broadcast. Alan from Fairfax made a gift and and wrote those words. Tell us a little bit about our project for the evening. Yes, so a decade ago, Ed Walker donated his childhood antique 1932 RCA cabinet radio as a keepsake to WMU. And we are working with the National Capital Radio and Television Museum to refurbish and restore Ed's radio. This has been a long time coming. We're so glad to finally be able to take this project on. And when you give tonight, a portion of that is going towards that goal. The museum is generously donating their labor and expertise, but WMU is covering the cost of the needed parts and also a beautiful plaque that will uh, designate this is, you know, the this was Ed Walker's radio, his childhood radio, and it will mention the big broadcast and WAMU. So, 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org is how you support it. Douglas, 
you've given us some of these great comments and tell us where we stand. Well, we are, we started the night working on a $30,000 goal and we have under $1,200 left to go. Oh, on that we goal. can get there. We have Come heard on. from 174 members, new and renewing so far tonight. And we just want to say thank you and we hope you will join them at 800-248-8850 or wamu.org. And Murray, I did want to just say we are, we are also celebrating WAMU's 60th anniversary that this campaign is that kickoff. I think the big broadcast is a testament of the kind of programming that you only can really get from public radio. Yes, we, during the week, we're a news and information station. We serve the Washington region in that capacity. But this is also this kind of weekend programming, this break from the news. It's so important, especially after the year, year and a half that we have been through. We know how important these programs like Hot Jazz Saturday Night, like the big broadcast, these cultural programs, these opportunities to get in touch with American history and culture in a very unique way. And that's what your support helps us continue to bring to you 60 years in the future. You'll be here, right, Murray? Yeah, <laughs> with God's help. But you're right. I always tell folks about this show, listen, folks, you, you don't know where you are unless you know where you've been. And the big broadcast tells us in great detail where we've been over the last 80 years, really. And here's an example. We're going back to the conclusion of Remember Me, an episode from the spring of 1952 and the series Suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Dan Durier in Elliot Lewis's production of Remember Me, a dramatic report well calculated to keep you in suspense. Let her make coffee. Let her do anything she wants. She's only got a few minutes to live. Only until the L goes by again. Goes by with a big noise so no one can hear the little noise of my 38 going off. And then Ruthie, who remembers me so well, will be out of the way. Then I can get out of here, safe and sound, and nobody knowing anything. They'll just find two bodies a couple of blocks apart, and I'll be miles from here. You hungry? All I have to do now is wait for the L. Harry, you hungry? What? I asked you if you were hungry. I could make No, a... no. No, thanks. Just the coffee. Okay. Hot coffee coming up. Good. Sugar? Black. Here. It's hot. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. How long you lived here, Ruthie? Over a year. I wouldn't last overnight with the owl going by the window like that. I'm used to it. Does it go by often? Never stops. I'll warn you the next time I hear it coming. Yeah. You you do that. <laughs> Harry Norris, here in my apartment. What? I can't get over running into you like this. Yeah, well, you never know. Are you married, Harry? No. Funny. I pictured you married by now and with a family. But here you are. A little older, but about the same. Yeah, well, that's that's the way it goes. What do you do for a living? Oh, nothing right now, but I got plans, big plans. I'm going to be running a lot of guys around this town someday, and I'm going to have money, lots of it. I don't doubt it. You say you have plans. 
Tell me about them, Harry. What's it to tell? I'm after big money, that's all. You'll have it. If you're the Harry I remember, you'll get whatever you want. What do you mean by that? I remember how you were around school. When you saw something you wanted, you got it. Nothing could stop you. I remember a football game with Astoria High. You got knocked out and they carried you off the field. We were losing the game and you came back in all bandaged up and put us ahead. Yeah. I was very proud of you. I thought you were wonderful. You? But uh, we hardly knew each other. I knew you. Well. I waited outside the gym that night to see if you were all right. I saw you leave and you had a little bandage right, right there. Where the tiny scar is now. Oh, this one? Uh-huh. So, you waited around to see if I was okay, huh? Yeah. I even followed you home that night. I I was afraid you might pass out on the street and there would be no one to take care of you, so I followed you. I remember that night. But not much of what I did. Instead of going home, you stopped in at a pool room. I waited outside for hours. You did? Then it started to snow, and I went home. It's funny. I, uh, I, I don't remember seeing you, and yet you were, you were around so much. It's funny. Well, I was a pretty horrible-looking kid then. Maybe. Well, there's nothing wrong with you now, Ruthie. Uh, what time is it? I don't know. The clock's in the bedroom. Oh. I wonder how Mrs. Leibowitz is doing. Mrs. Leibowitz? Oh, oh, you can call in in the morning and find out. She's been sick a lot lately. Poor old Mr. Leibowitz has been worried to death about her. You like the old man? Sure. He kept me in groceries for a long time last year while I was looking for work. And he's done the same for other people in the neighborhood. What's the matter, Harry? Nothing's the matter. And sit back and relax. You're sitting there like a tiger about to jump on something. Yeah, Sure. You, um, like living alone like this? I love it. Don't you get a little lonesome? Sometimes. But I have friends in the neighborhood, and we get together and have crazy times. How come you never got married, Ruth? Never met the kind of man I'd want to spend the rest of my life with, I guess. No boyfriends? No one? It's kind of your fault, Harry. My fault? Mm Mm-hmm. When a girl has a crush on a fella and nothing happens... She goes on thinking that maybe someday something will happen. And in the meantime, the other fellows just don't mean much, I guess. Ruth, I I don't get it. Did you feel this way about me? I did, once, when we were in school. But I got over it. Did you? Sure, I guess. You're a funny kid. I don't get you. Forget it, Harry. Wish I could remember you. What you looked like. Like I said, I was pretty off. What are you looking at? Your scar. It's no larger than a match head. Yeah. I can hardly feel it. And you have another tiny scar on the side of your nose right here. Where'd you get it, Harry? Uh, A fight, I think. Always a tough guy. That's why the girls liked you so much. You treated them so rough. Did I? And you ignored them most of the time. Yeah. The way you're ignoring me right now. Am I? Only inches between us and you ignore me. Ignore this if you can, Aaron. 
Ruthie. And this? Ruthie, baby. Harry. just went by. I I heard it. I heard it. Now you can relax for another five minutes. Another five minutes? Ruthie, I... What's the matter, Harry? I don't know. I don't know. I must be going soft in the head. I came up here to do something. Now I can't. The things you said, the, the, the way you act, you make me feel like I mean something to you. All the time, I didn't know you were alive. If I really mean anything to you, you'll help me. I, I, I need help. Ruthie, can I trust you? Ruthie, are you home? Who's that? I don't know. Honey, it's Jimmy. Ruth. Jim. Don't make a sound. What's going on up there? Mrs. Dooley, have you seen Ruth? Oh, I heard her come in a while ago. I didn't see her go. What are you banging on her door for? She doesn't answer. Do you, do you have a key? A key? Oh, I think so. Well, get it. I don't know what you're so excited about. Maybe she's asleep. Look, Ruthie, you're going to do, do as I say or you're going to get hurt. See this 38? Mm-hmm. It'll be against your side like this. Act like you've been asleep and answer that guy and get rid of him. Understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm taking my hand away from your mouth. Now, be careful. I don't want anybody to know I'm here. Get rid of him. All right, Harry. I'll get rid of him. Ruth? What? What's going on out there? Ruthie? Jimmy, is that you? Yeah. Are you all right? What do you want? It's late. Of course I'm all right. Why didn't you answer when I knocked? I've been asleep. What do you want? Well, well, nothing, honey. I, I was worried about you, that's all. Worried? About me? Sure. You, you said you were going to stop by old man Lebowitz's place for groceries on your way home. I did stop there. What about it? Well, was was everything okay? Tell him yes. Yes. Everything was all right. Why? Mr. Leibowitz was held up tonight. He was shot. Oh. Mrs. Leibowitz came down to the store and found him dead behind the counter. Ruth? I... I heard you, Jimmy. The neighborhood is full of cops. They, they say it happened less than an hour ago. You can see why I was so worried. Get rid of them. I'm all right, huh? Jimmy... I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, sweet. Hey, don't I get a good night kiss? I'm not dressed. Good night. Okay. Good night, honey. Well, Mrs. Dooley, forget about the key. She's all right. You killed him. I killed him. You're going to kill me. I'm going to kill you. Yes, you have to. I could fix you good with the police. Yes, you could. You almost got it before, but you got me mixed up a little. You made me forget what I came up here to do. Trying to make me think you cared about me. Harry, I did. Yeah, does everybody in the building stop by for a good night kiss? Well, Jimmy's only... I a... don't care who he is. Only, why the routine with me? What were you after? Harry, why don't you give yourself up? You heard, Jimmy. The neighborhood is full of police. You can't get away. I've been in tighter spots than this. I always get away. Here it comes, Ruthie. Harry. Sorry, baby. I won't tell anyone, Harry. Sorry, baby. Don't kill me. Sorry, baby. (laughs) 
all right, miss. It's all right. <laughs> Is he dead, officer? Yeah. I, I didn't know whether you'd get here in time. We finally found that trail of flour you left from the store up here. We hit the door just as the L passed. Close. I was quick thinking, lady. That trail of flour. Did you see him shoot the old man? No. When Harry opened the refrigerator to get some potato salad, I saw Mr. Leibowitz's legs sprawled out on the floor. And when he came from behind the counter, he left tracks of blood. Yeah. Hey, how did you keep him here so long without, without him killing you? We had a lot to talk about. I knew Harry a long time ago. There were things I remembered about him. But he... But he didn't remember me. Suspense, a story based on fact, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Dan Durier. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Remember Me was written for Suspense by Gus C. Bays. In tonight's play, Charlotte Lawrence was heard as Ruth. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Ruth Parrott, Lee Millar, and Charles Calvert. This is the CBS Radio Network. Suspense, a story called Remember Me from April of 1952 from the big broadcast and from me and our co-producers, Douglas Bell and Jill Arald Bailey. You can join us, in a sense, by calling 800-248-8850 or going to WAMU.org and becoming part of the big broadcast team. Jill, you're very fond of the script that we just heard, huh? <laughs> I am. I was telling Murray while it was playing, I would love to do a production of that and uh, and, and actually get to speak those words. It's so well written, um, at least I think so. And the suspense listeners thought so too, by the way. They they, they actually uh, reproduced uh, that and rebroadcast it three times, the, the script of Remember Me. Um, but see, that's one of the things that I love about the big broadcast. You know, whenever you turn it on on Sunday night, you're going to hear something that's worth your time. It's going to be well-written. It's going to be interesting. It might be informative, something that takes you back in time. Um, and when it comes to weekends, it's not just going to entertain you. It's going to give you a breather. It's a little removed from the, the tumult of the week and some perspective on all that we're going through because of where we've been. Um, you know how much you need that breather now. So please show how much you appreciate it, whether that's $5 a month or Heck, $1,000 a month. I mean, only you know what you can do. Um, we'll breathe a little easier when you do, so you can call 1-800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org and click on the Donate button. And it only works if if you do those things. If you go to uh, wamu.org and click on Donate, if you call 800 248 
8850. Uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful comment of Barbara in Chestertown, Maryland. She said, I love the big broadcast. It brings back to me memories of my parents and grandparents who loved radio shows. So do I. It makes Sunday night special. Thank you, Barbara. As a parent and grandparent myself, I really appreciate it. Um, this whole mechanism that uh, Douglas was talking about earlier about it only working if you join us and if and if you go now to 800-248-8850 or wamu.org i got to tell you a really quick story i worked at npr for almost 15 years and part of my job it was tough somebody had to do it was to go to geneva every year and negotiate with members of the european broadcasting union so we could get some programs and um when the Iron Curtain fell in 1989 and a little bit after, 1990, 1991, and these state broadcasters were now not getting the money, even the BBC wasn't getting the money from government that they used to, they would stop me in the hallways between meetings and they'd say, now, let me get this straight. People can get what you do for free, but they send you checks, they send you money. And I had to explain to them, I told them to read de Tocqueville. I said, I told them to <laughs> l- listen, they, they needed to know the American spirit and how we all pitch in. Now it's your turn to pitch in. Call 800-248-8850, become a sustaining member, go to wamu.org and click on donate. And you can join Michael from Frederick, Maryland, who made a gift and says, We've been listening to the big broadcast since we started dating. My wife has been listening since she was a child in the John Hickman years, and she introduced me when we first met. Gunsmoke has always been our favorite. It's still the best part of our weekends, and we'll be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary oh. next month. So congratulations, Happy Michael. Happy anniversary. Um, and we have some really good news here. Murray, um, can you please do your fabulous drum roll? <laughs> Here we That's go. not fabulous. I, <laughs> I think your rotary dial might be a little bit better. My, my rotary dial. Do you want to hear that? Yes, I want to hear that. There that's we go. That's, that's going to have to pass for our drum roll, too. <laughs> so we have a drum roll slash rotary dial <laughs> sound effect into 193 members who helped us to raise over $32,000 oh, tonight. We thank have you so met much. and exceeded our goal. Thank you so much. And... It's not too late. You can still help us get us over. Help us make 35. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Yep. Because that would really be voting with our dollars. It would really be showing everyone that the big broadcast needs to stay here. Sunday nights, go to WAMU.org or call 1-800-248-8850. It makes a statement. We, I, I've said it a couple of times, and this is something I don't usually say, anything having to do with humility, but it really does humble us. Thank you so much. We're here for you. This inspires us to keep being here for you every Sunday night. Thank you so much. And as Jill says, you can add to that total. It really does make a statement. If you go to call 800-248-8850 or go right now to wamu.org. And uh, thank you. and, And above all, thank you. Thank you. And thank you again for your support tonight and throughout the years for the big broadcast. We appreciate it more than we can express. I'm Murray Horwitz. Our co-producers tonight are Jill Errold Bailey and Douglas Bell. Michael Kidd is our audio engineer, and this is WAMU Washington, your listener-supported NPR news station from American University in HD at 88.5, on your smart speaker, and at WAMU.org. 
We've been talking a lot about the past tonight and the past 60 years. Well, the year before John Hickman started the big broadcast, Recollections, as it was titled back then, Jane Darwell made her last film appearance in Walt Disney's Mary Poppins. Feed the birds, you may remember her. She made her first movie in 1913 when she was 33, but that relatively advanced age didn't at the time didn't stop her from acting in more than 200 movies and tv shows over the course of a 50-year career her greatest screen triumph was in the grapes of wrath as ma jode the core of her family and far more central in john ford and john steinbeck's novel than she was in john ford's masterful film version Enter Old Time Radio, which gave Jane Darwell a chance to expand on her Oscar-winning movie role and give us really a fuller and more nuanced portrait of this pillar of strength. Also in the cast, as Tom Joad, the role taken in the movie by Henry Fonda, is the virtuoso radio actor Wally Mayer, to whom we paid tribute in last week's big broadcast, and we had an interview with his son, Wally Mayer Jr., who is joining us. He's listening right now, so thanks again, Wally. As for Ms. Darwell, well, after this NBC University theater adaptation, broadcast some eight years after the movie appeared, you might find yourself agreeing with a Washington Post opinion writer from just a few years ago that, quote, we need a Ma Jode in the White House, end quote. Thank you again to everybody who gave tonight from January 9th, 1949. It's Richard E. Davis's adaptation of John Steinbeck's novel, The Grapes of Wrath, from the NBC University Theater. This is the NBC University Theater, bringing you a full-hour dramatization of one of the most memorable works in modern American fiction, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, starring Jane Darwell in her Academy Award-winning role, Ma Jones. Dust came and covered the earth. In the red country and part of the gray country of Oklahoma, the dust rose from the fields and sifted down from the sky. It settled on the ruined corn, piled up on the tops of fence posts and on the wires. Dust settled on roofs, blanketed the weeds and trees. Quietly it fell like pollen on chairs and tables, on the dishes. Dawn came, but no day. In the morning, the dust hung like fog, and the dim sun was red as ripe new blood. Every living thing lifted the dust into the air. A walking man lifted a thin layer as high as his waist, and behind the truck boiled a choking cloud. Oh, thanks, buddy, for giving me the lift. My dogs was pooped out. You, uh, going somewhere to look for a job? No, 
My old man's got a place. Forty acres. He's a cropper. Forty acre cropper and he ain't been dusted out and he ain't been tractored out? Of course, I ain't heard lately. No, I guess you ain't. Cropper's going fast now. One cat takes and shoves ten families out. You, uh, you been doing a job? Sure have. Thought so. Seen your hands. Been swinging a pick or an axe or a sledge. That shines up your hands. I notice all stuff like that. Take a pride in it. Like to know anything else, buddy? I'll tell you, you ain't got a guess. Well, now, don't get sore. I wasn't getting nosy. I'll tell you anything. My name's Jode. Tom Jode. My old man is old Tom Jode. Well, now, don't get sore. I, I didn't mean nothing. I train my mind all the time. Now, suppose I pass a guy on the road. I look at him. After I'm passed, I try to remember everything about him. Just make a whole picture in my head. You'd be surprised how much a guy can remember. Sometimes I think I ought to take a course to be a fingerprint expert. Fingerprint expert? <laughs> yeah, you sure took a long time to get to it, buddy. <laughs> get to what? How do you mean? Why, you had that big old nose of yours going over me like a sheep in a vegetable patch. Oh, now, now friend, you, you got me all wrong. I, I mind my own yard. Well, Tom Joad ain't a guy to let you down. I've been doing time, mister. Been do I was up in the pen of McAllister. Okay. Now you want to know what I done time for, don't you? Oh, no, no, that, 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 that ain't none of my affair. Homicide. That's a big word. Means I killed a guy. He stuck a knife in me and I whopped him with a shovel. Seven years. I'm sprung in four for keeping my nose clean. Now, if you don't mind, mister, you can stop and spring me out of this lousy truck. This here is where I get off. Okay, buddy. Thanks for the lift, and so long. The side road was cut with furrows where dust had slid and settled back into the wheel tracks. And it spurted up like flour over the new yellow shoes. Ahead, a scrawny, dusty willow tree cast a speckled shade over a man sitting against the trunk. Doggone. Why, you're Jim Casey, ain't you? Well, Tom Joe. <laughs> well, Preacher Casey. Well, I was a preacher. A burning busher. Yeah? Grandma always said you was a great one against sin. Well, I was against sin. But then I got to thinking, and I decided there ain't no sin. Well, she'll be sorry to hear that. I'm going home. Going to see the family. Yeah, the funny thing... I ain't seen your folks in a bug's age, Tom. I was just thinking I ought to call in on them sometime. Well, come along with me, then. They'll be glad to see you, Casey. Hey, Casey. Huh? Look. Look at that house. She's all pushed out of shape, and the well's plowed over. Something's wrong, Casey. They're gone. Omar's dead. Yeah, let's go look in the house. Doors knocked off the hinges. No, they're gone. Or dead. Wait a minute. Huh? What's the matter? There's someone in there. 
All right, who is it? Come on out. I ain't doing nothing. What? Well, it's Muley. You know him, Tom. Muley Graves. Well, I'll be... It's Tommy Jode. When did you get out, Tommy? Two days ago. Hitchhike home and... Look what I find. Where's my folks, Muley? What's the house all smashed up for and cotton planted in the dooryard? The bank come and kicked him out. What? But why? Why are they kicking folks off the land? Them dirty so-and-sos. You know what kind of years we've been having. Dust coming up in a spile and everything so a man didn't get a crop. Well, the bank says, the share a tenant gets is just some margin of profit we can't afford to lose. So they tracked it all the tenants right off of the land. Where's my folks? Why, they got them a truck, and then they all piled in it. Your pa and ma, and grandpa and grandma, and young Winfield, and Rosa Sharn, and Connie. Connie? Connie, who's he? Why, Connie Rivers. That's your sister's husband. Well, I'll be doggone. So Rosa Sharn grew up and got herself married. She sure did. She's going to have a baby, too. Huh? They're all over at your Uncle John's getting ready to shove on west. Everybody's lost their land. Everybody's homeless now. I gotta. If ever a man got a dose of the spirit, I gotta. Maybe, maybe there's a place for a preacher. I'm going with him. And when folks are on the road, I'm going to be with him. Oh, the spirit's coming back to me now. Ma. Oh, thank God. Thank God. It's good to be home, Ma. Oh, I'm so glad to have you back, son. Uh, just look at him. A genuine jailbird. <laughs> yes, sir, Tommy. You're a sight for sore eyes. Well, you look fine, Grandpa. How you keeping yourself, you old devil? <laughs> Me? Just full of fuss and vinegar. Oh, either Cussner man never lived. He's going to perdition on a poker. Oh, hi, you, Grandma. Oh, can't complain, praise the Lord. Pa and Rosa Sharn and Connie ain't here. They went to town to sell the furniture so we can go to California. Oh, Tommy, things are changing and happening so fast here that I can't even keep track of them. <laughs> I know they'd never keep you in jail. Not a real joke. I'll bet you bust out like a bull. <laughs> you ain't wanted, are you, Tom? You didn't bust loose. No, Ma. No, I got parole. Three years off for good behavior. I gotta know, Tommy. You ain't mad, are you? How do you mean, Ma, mad? You ain't poison mad from being in there. You don't hate nobody, do you? They didn't do nothing in that jail to rot you out with crazy mad. No, Ma. No, I let stuff run off in me. I knowed pretty boy Floyd. I knowed his ma, too. He was a good boy, but they hurt him, and he went mad mean. And finally they had to run him down and kill him. Well, you don't have to worry none, Mom. I ain't like that. Well, we come mighty near to going without you. 
I've been a-praying for this, that we could keep the family all together. Uh, yeah. I like to think how nice it's going to be in California. Never cold, high wages, and fruit every place, and living in nice little white houses among the orange trees. Seems too nice, almost. (laughs) Well, don't roost your faith bird high, and you won't do no crawling with the worms. That's scripture, ain't it? Well, anyway, we're going, Tom. Ma. Ma, I'm on parole. I can't leave the state. If they caught me, they'd send me back. Why? You mean... You mean you ain't a-coming, Tom? You ain't a-going with us? Well, Ma, what's eating on you? Why are you so worried about the family? Well, what else we got left in the world? Nothing but us. We're like a bunch of cows when the wolves are ranging. We gotta stick all together. We can't let nothing bust up the folks. All right. All right, just... Just stop fretting now, Ma. I guess they won't catch me if I can just stay out of trouble. I guess I'll be coming along. It's the truck. Pa's back from town with Rosie, Sean, and Connie. Pa, look who just came home. Tom, boy. Tom. I'm glad to see you, Pa. And Rosa Sean. Why, you're all grown up. <gasps> Tom. Oh, oh, Tom, this is Connie, my husband. Howdy, Tom. Howdy. Pa, the truck's bare. You sold the furniture all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. how much did you get? Eighteen dollars. Only eighteen dollars for everything we had. They were some city fellas. Said it was just junk. Couldn't offer me more than eighteen dollars for all the things I sweated for all my life. I swear I don't understand. I don't understand. Oh, it's all right, Pa. At least now we're free. We can start for California. We got nothing to hold us here any longer. Highway 66 is the path of a people in flight. Refugees from dust and shrinking land, from the thunder of tractors and shrinking ownership. Highway 66. A concrete runway to the promised land. If and only we can get to California where the oranges grow before this old jug blows up. If only we can, Roshan. Oh, Connie, maybe we can have a, a place of our own. Oh, nothing fancy, but we want it nice for the baby. Yeah. Yeah, a nice little place and a, an electric iron for the baby's stuff. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm going to study. Electricity. Yeah? Yeah, Rose, I'm... I'm going to send away for one of them home study courses and get to be electrical expert. Oh. Yeah. If only we can get to California. Yeah, we we got to get a tire, but Mr. $4 is an awful lot for an old tire like that. Well, take it or leave it. I ain't in business for my health. Well, all right. Open her up. Let's take a look at the casing. Why, you dirty... You said the casing was good. She's broke almost through. It is? Well, by George, how come I didn't see that? You did see it, you lying buzzard. Four bucks for a busted casing. I'd like to take a sock at you. I'll keep your shirt on. I'm just trying to do business. Yeah? If I go steal that tire, I'm a thief. But you try to steal my four bucks for a busted casing, and that's good business, huh? Well, you can keep your lousy tire. You think you can make it to the next town on that old one? Mister, I'd go on a rim before I paid you a dime. 
Yeah, Ma. You gotta pull over. Pull over and stop. Grandpa's sick. <laughs> well, what are we stopping for, Tom? Ma says Grandpa's sick. No, he ain't sick. He's just a sulking. I've seen him like this before. Pa, what's the matter with you? Yeah, he must be good and sick. He ain't never done that before. Never seen him blubbering in my life. He's he's sick bad, you think? Pretty bad, Grandma. We better stop for a while and let him rest. This here is William James Jode. He died of a stroke. Old, old man. His folks are burying him here in one of your fields because they don't have $40 to pay for a funeral. And I ain't gonna pray for a fellow that's dead. He didn't die tonight. He died the minute we took him off the old place. He's just staying with the land. He couldn't leave it. Now, he's going to be all right. And if I was to pray, it'd be for the folks still living that don't know which way to turn. So now, let's cover him up. Amen. Along 66, the hamburger stands where the truck drivers eat. Al and Susie's place. Carl's lunch. The blousy blonde waitress leaning across the counter. Hi, what's new on the road, Bill? Yeah, nothing but jalopies. People going west. I've never seen so many. It's worse all the time. Yeah, where do they all go to? Come here for gas sometimes. People say they steal, but they never stole nothing from us. Yeah? You better tie your stuff down. I think you got some of them coming now. Yeah. Oh, kidding his old man. You stay close to me, Winfield. Excuse me, ma'am. Could you see your way to sell us a loaf of bread? Well, this ain't a grocery store, mister. We sell bread. We're going to run out. We're hungry. Well, then why don't you buy a sandwich? We got nice hamburgers. We'd sure admire to do that, ma'am, but we got to make a dime do for all of us. Can't get no loaf of bread for a dime. We only got 15 cent loaves. The love of mud may sell them bread. Won't you? Can't you see a way to cut off 10 cents worth? Well, this here's a 15 cent loaf. May. Give them the bread. No, we want to buy 10 cents worth, mister. Oh, all right. It's yours for 10 cents. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Hey, come on now, Winfield. Pa. Hmm? Pa. What's that? Oh. Uh, is them penny candies, ma'am? There, them stripy ones. The peppermint six? Hmm. Huh? Oh, oh, them. Well, well no, that them's two for a penny. Oh, well, give me two then, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, take them, son. We thank you, ma'am. 
Them wasn't two for a cent candy, May. Them was nickel apiece candy. Well, what's that to you? It's my money, ain't yeah, it? Yeah, you're getting soft in your old age. Yeah. You ought to stay tough like us truck drivers. Well, I gotta get going. I'm dropping time. Hey. Hey, Bill, wait a minute. You got change back. So long, May. See you next week. Well, how do you like that? A 50 cent tip. Oh. Them truck drivers. Cars rattling by on 66. In the daylight, scuttling like bugs to the westward. And by night, clustering like bugs to shelter in camps at the side of the road. One day closer to the promised land. The highway stretched westward up into the mountains of New Mexico. And then... They came to the desert. What do you think, Ma? Shall we try to cross her tonight? Travel while it's cool? Well, I don't know. Do us good to get a little rest first. Especially Grandma. Oh, we got a bitter road, son. Grandma's getting sicker. She's up there on the truck a pawn for a shovel herself. She ain't been no good since Grandpa died. Nobody to fight with, I guess. Well, there's a deputy ahead. I'll pull up and ask again. Hey, mister. You mind if we stop here a piece? Who's in there? Where'd you come from? Us? Right near Salisaw, Oklahoma. Well, you can't stay here. We aim to cross the desert, mister. You better. If you hit a more this time, I'll run you in. Now, mister, you got a tin button and a gun. Where I come from, you'd keep your voice down, trying to scare women that way. In my country, you'd watch your tongue. Well, you ain't in your country now. You're in our country, and we don't want you Okies settling down here. Okies? Yeah, Okies. And if you're here tomorrow, I'll run you in. The dirty rotten. I should have sucked. Oh, no, 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 Tom. You can't afford to get in no trouble with the police. And maybe it's just as well if we do go on tonight. we got to get Rosa Sharn to California before her baby comes. Yeah, but Grandma... Well, I'll go up on top and take care of her. We're running low on money, Tom, and we got to think of the family. No, we'll have to cross the desert tonight. Just get us through fast for Grandma's sake. Engines are boiling. What a place. Well, we got to get over. Only hope we make it before dawn. Roadblock ahead, Tommy. Hmm? Sign says keep right and stop. Hey, what's this here? Agricultural inspection. We got to look for any vegetables or seeds. Got to unload. Unload? Everything? Oh, look, mister. We got a sick old lady up here. We got to get her to a doctor. We can't wait. You, well, you just can't make us wait. Yeah. Well, we gotta look you over. Well, I swear we ain't got anything. And Grandma's awful sick. Look at her. Look. My golly, she is. You swear you got no seeds or fruits or vegetables, no corn, no oranges? Oh, no, I swear it. Mother, go ahead. You can get a doctor in Boston. Go ahead. Well, you got us through, Ma. How's Grandma? You want to head for the doctor? Oh, no, no. She's all right. She's all right. I just wouldn't want to stop there. Fear we couldn't get across. Yeah? I swear, Pa, 
I don't know what's got into Ma. Yeah. First she says Grandma's sick. Now she says Grandma's all right. I can't figure Ma out. The trip must have wore her brains out. All night long, they bored through the hot desert darkness. And as the dawn came up behind them, the truck crawled into the mountains, then topped a rise. The desert's passed. Pa, Winfield, Rosa, Sean, wake up. The desert's passed. Uh, uh, what is it, Tom? Oh, look ahead, Pa, look ahead. A green valley as far as the eye can see. Orchards. Grain fields, acres, acres of green land for growing things. Lord Almighty, it's California. Where's Ma? I want Ma to see it. Come here, Ma, come here. What is it, Tommy? You say we are crossed? Look, Ma. California. Oh, thank God. The family's here. Wake up. Wake up, Grandma, to see it. Oh. What's the matter, Ma? I wished I could wait and not tell you. I wish it could all be nice. Grandma's bad? Grandma's dead. She died before they stopped us last night. And you've been riding up there with... So that's why you didn't want them to look. I was afraid they wouldn't let us get across I told Grandma when she was a-dying that we couldn't stop. The family had to get across the desert. County Young Winfield and Rosa Sharn's baby. Golly. Ma. Now she can get buried in a nice green place. Trees around in a nice place. She'll get to lay her head down in California. <laughs> From Hollywood, the NBC University Theater is bringing you a dramatization of The Grapes of Wrath, starring Jane Darwell as Ma Jode, with Wally Mayer as Tom. Another in this series devoted to outstanding works of modern British and American fiction. If you are interested in supplementing your enjoyment of these productions with home study under college supervision, be sure to listen to the announcement at the close of our program. California, the promised land, land of milk and honey. Once it belonged to the Mexicans, and the Americans took it, stole the rich land because they were fierce and hungry men. First, the squatters became owners, and then with time, their children grew up, farms grew larger, and the owners fewer. And then it came about that the owners no longer worked on their farms. They farmed on paper, and they forgot the land, the smell, the feel of it, the gnawing, stomach-tearing lust for a rich acre, remembered only what they had gained by owning it. And so when the Okies came, the landowners hated them because the Okies were fierce and hard, and the owners had grown soft. 
And perhaps the owners had heard from their grandfathers how easy it is to steal land from a soft man if you are fierce and hungry. It isn't that I don't like people, but these Okies aren't people. Shiftless no-goods who come out here to take what belongs to us. And in the towns, the storekeepers hated the Okies because they had no money to spend. There's no shorter path to a storekeeper's contempt. And the laboring people hated the Okies, too, because... Ah, those guys will work for anything. An Okie came into this store the other day and wanted to see the boss about getting a job. Uh, I only get 15 bucks a week, but that buzzard would have took my job for 12. Sure, sure, he's hungry, but I gotta live, too. He's got no right to take the bread right out of my mouth. And the hostility changed the people, made the little towns group and arm as though to repel an invader. Got to keep these Okies down, keep them moving, don't let them settle, crowd them into the miserable camps called Hoovervilles, and then... All right, you folks, we've got to get out. We just got orders. In half an hour, we set fire to the camp. Mister, there's typhoid down the line. You want to spread it all over? That ain't no worry. we got orders to get you out of here. Now get... Why, you oh, dirty... Oh, no, no, Tom, now. Don't do no good to argue with cops. Come on. we got to get the truck loaded. Man, what a hard-looking outfit. That fellow looked like he wanted to kill you. Yeah? What's the matter with you lately? Rosie, if I'd have known California would be like this, I wouldn't have come. Connie, what are you talking about? Sleeping six to a ten. No work and dough cakes three times a day. Rosie, I wished I'd stayed home and got me a three-dollar tractor job instead of coming out here for nothing. Well, you ain't giving up, Connie. We gotta have a house. We, we ain't gonna have this baby in no tent. You are going to study, ain't you, Connie? Oh. Oh, sure. Sure, Rose Shine. When, Connie? Well, as soon as I get on my feet, huh? The word would come whispering there's work at Shafter. And at Shafter, the people would pile up 5,000 families frantic for work and only 1,000 jobs. And so the wage would come down to 15 cents an hour for the thousand, and the other 4,000 would come away empty-handed. And a desperate man driving along the roads with his wife and thin children in the back seat could look at fields that lay fallow and covered with weeds. Look at there, Mom. All that land, all gone to jimson weeds. Lord, what I could do with an acre of that. That land's own, that ain't ourn. I could only get a little piece of her, just a little piece for a garden. It's a crime to let good land like that lie fallow. You know why it's got to lay fallow, don't you, Paul? They got so much food already, they can't sell it at a profit. They got to burn it to keep it off the market. That's why the land's got to lay fallow. Just the same, if I could get a little piece of it... Well, it ain't yourn, Pa. It ain't going to be yourn. Might as well stop thinking about it. But in the eyes of the hungry, there is a growing wrath, 
In the souls of the people, the grapes of wrath are filling and growing heavy. Growing heavy for the vintage. Say, something's up, Casey. Let's go see what it is. All right. Yeah, let's ask that fellow there. Hello there. My name's Jode, Tom Jode. This here's my friend, Jim Casey, Preacher Casey. Proud know you, Preacher. I'm Floyd Knowles. What's up? What's everyone standing around for? Ain't you heard? Contractor's coming down here looking for fruit pickers. Yeah? What's he paying? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Fifteen cents an hour, maybe, if it has to. Maybe only a dime if there's enough men with kids and them kids is hungry. That's stinking. You stay out here a little while. If you smell any roses, you come let me smell, too. Well, I ain't going to take it. I and my folks ain't no sheep. I'm going to kick the tar out of somebody. Well, looks like you're going to get the chance. Here comes a contract. Who's that with him? A deputy? Hold there. You men want to work? Clary County. Need a lot of pickers. Sure we want to work. You doing the hiring? Well, I'm contracting the land. What are you paying? Well, can't tell exactly yet. About 30 cents, I guess. Why can't you tell? You took the contract, didn't you? Hey, you're telling me how to run my own business? Well, mister, if we're working for you, it's our business, too. I told you I don't know yet. If you don't know, you've gotten the right to hire me. All right, big mouth. That'll be just about enough out of you. Joe. Hey, Joe. Come here a minute. Yeah? What do you want, Doc? You ever see this guy before, Joe? This fella? What'd he do? Well, he's talking red. Agitating trouble. Uh, seems like I have. Last week when that used car lot was busted into. Seemed like I seen this fella hanging around. Yep, I swear it's the same fella. Get in that car. You, you ain't got nothing on him. Listen, bud, there was two fellas hanging around that lot. You just open your trap once more, and I'll grab you, too. I wasn't even in the state last week. Well, maybe you want it someplace else. You'll keep your trap shut. Ah, man, you don't want to listen to these good-for-nothing reds. What you want is work. I can use all of you in Tillera County. Now, who wants to come? Might be a good idea if all you guys went. We're going to clean out this camp. Somebody might get hurt. All right, now, Big Mouse, you get in the car. I ain't a-going. Oh, Yeah. We'll see about that. Get him, Deputy! Run for it! He's got Mister, Mister, don't shoot your lively. Uh, Trippin', Tom, Trippin', he's shooting wild. Get dirty! Now, get him, Casey! Well, we done it, Casey. Oh, he shot a woman. Fella like that ain't got no right to a gun. Where, where'd the other guy go? I don't know, but he'll be back. Tom... Tom, you got to get out of here. I don't want to go. They'll fingerprint you. You broke parole. They'll send you back to McAllister. Oh, Lord, I forgot. Casey, how about you? Uh, me? Well, somebody got to take the blame. I'm all alone. Tom, if you mess in this, your whole family, all your folks are going to get in trouble. Now go. Go quick now before he comes too. I'll get packed. Get it. Get everybody in the truck. We got to get out of here. What for? We ain't done nothing, Tom. Nothing except beat up a cop. Oh, Tom! After those shots, you didn't kill nobody. No, no, I just socked oh, them. Oh, but you promised, Tom. That's how pretty boy Floyd died. 
I knew his ma. They hurt him. I'm a trying ma, but you don't want me to crawl with my belly on the ground. Oh, Lord, we got to get out of here quick. Pa, start packing. Rosa Jean, where's Connie? Rosa Jean. I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Why are you talking and acting so funny? What happened to Connie? Why ain't he around? I seen him, Ma, this morning, down by the river. So did I. Rosa Sharn, I'm afraid Connie was heading south. No. No, it ain't true. Of course it's true. Connie wasn't no good, never did nothing. <laughs> Why? Why have I got a shirt? She run out, didn't he? Now, Pa, Rosa Sharn's gonna have a little fella. And that fella's half Connie. It ain't good for a baby to grow up with folks are saying his pa ain't no good. Better than lying about it. No, it ain't. Make out like he's dead. You wouldn't say no bad things about Connie if he's dead. Come on, Rosa Sharn, we're going. No, I ain't going. I want Connie. I ain't going till he comes back. Oh, no, don't you worry, honey. He'll find us later. Yeah, now we got to think about Tom. I don't care about Tom. I want Connie. Now listen, all of you. How many times have I got to tell you? It ain't just Tom and it ain't just Connie. It's the family we got to think of. There's going to be bad trouble here and we got to be gone when it comes. We just did get away in time, Ma. Look at that sky all lit up red in back of us. Oh, thank the Lord it's behind us. Where are we going now, Tom? Down south, Ma. But there's no work that way. The crops are all in. That's what the cops all figure. And there's a government camp down there where we can get credit. A fella told me they don't let deputies in there. Oh, Ma. I gotta get away from them. I'm scared I'll kill oh, one. Oh, don't ever say that again, Tom. I done a lot of thinking this night long. And I'm beginning to see more and more what's a-happening to us. Grandpa died, and we buried him in a field. Yeah. Grandpa a pauper, and Grandma too. Now Connie's gone. Tom, I'm depending on you to watch out for the family. Your pa's no good for watching out. He's a foreign man. All this here life is new to him. You're the one. Tom, if you ever go, heaven help us all. I'll do my best, Ma. But you got to have patience, Tom. Just remember, we're the people that live. Why, they ain't going to wipe us out. We take a beating all the time. I know. Maybe that makes us tough. Rich fellas come up and they die. And their kids ain't no good and they die out. But we're the people. We keep a coming. And oh, there's a different time ahead. I sure hope so. Ma, I never heard you talk so much in my life. Wasn't never so much reason. All right, folks. <laughs> this is your tent. Well, now, ain't this just fine? Pa, look how nice and neat everything is. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. Well, I got a feeling it's going to be real nice. Well, we got good folks here. <laughs> uh, you're number four sanitary unit. What's that? Oh, uh, shower in the wash tubs. Oh, you got wash tubs? Running water? <laughs> yes, indeed. Hot and cold. Well, praise God. We ain't had hot water since we left home. <laughs> hey, by the way, Mrs. Joe, the ladies' committee are calling you to explain the camp rules. 
What's the ladies' committee? Well, it's a group of women here in the camp who see that everything's kept neat and clean. You mean them ladies is coming to see me this morning? Well, great day. We got to get ready. Pa, hmm? you get some clean overhauls in the shirt, and then you get in Winfield's ears, scrounge around in his ears until they're red and shining. <laughs> Come on, Winfield. Now, Rosie Sharn, you got to spruce up. Get a clean dress and get your hair combed. What? I don't feel good. I don't feel like doing nothing without Connie. Now, Rosa Sharn, you get upright. You've just been moping long enough. There's a ladies' committee coming, and the family ain't going to be frawny when they get here. Up to now, there wasn't no chance, but now the family's going to get decent. Are you happy, Ma? Oh, this here's a nice place, Tom. I only hope we can stay. Yeah, if that farmer down the road only keeps on giving me a little work. Well, it's done a world of good for the family, Tom. For Pa and Winfield. Even Rosa Shine. <laughs> she's putting on flesh. Yeah, she's getting mighty tightful now. It ain't gonna be long. <laughs> you look pretty fine yourself, Ma. Uh, oh, yes, son. This here's a nice place. We could be happy here a while. almost ready. Well, how was the ditch digging today? Today was the last day, Ma. Yeah, the ditch was like Connie, good for a while, but finished and gone quick. Oh, did you get your pay? Yeah, what there was of it. The fellow had to cut us from 30 cents an hour back to 25. How come, Tom? He had to. Farmers Association told him 30 cents was too high for ditch digging wages. They said high wages caused discontent. Yeah. I never seen nobody content on low wages. Well, then why didn't this fella tell the association to mind his own business? Because the bank runs the association. And the bank's got a mortgage on this fella's place. Well, what are we going to do now? Rosa Sharn ain't far from due. And we got six mouths to feed with one day's more grease and two days flour and a handful of potatoes. Well, we got to figure something out to get some money coming in. We've been a-looking, Ma. What's the use of looking for something you ain't going to find? Now, Pa, you ain't got the right to get discouraged. This here family's going under, and you just ain't got the right. Well, then, Ma, I guess we got to go. I met a fella says we might find some work in the peach country. Yeah, but it'd mean leaving this government camp. I know. Oh, so nice here. And folks is nice here. I don't want to go. But I ain't watching this here family starve no more. Come time for Rosa Sharn to lay in, she's got to be fed up. And if it's peaches we got to pick to save ourselves, well, the sooner we start, the better. Look, Tom, there's a bunch of cars pulled up at the side of the road. Maybe we better stop. Say, mister, can you tell us where the peach orchards is? You people looking for work? Oh, we sure are, mister. Looking even under boards. Can you pick peaches? Mister, we can pick anything there is. Okay. That makes six cars now. You all just follow the motorcycle escort there. Okay, Joe. 
car. What's the matter here? Maybe the road's out. Don't need four motorcycle cops to lead us. I don't like it. Tom, the line's turning into that gate up ahead. And look there outside that gate. Looks like a mob of people. Hey, what's going on here? I don't know, but I tell you, I don't like it. They look like our own people. Watch out, Tom. One of them's throwing a brick. Anybody hurt back there? No, Tom. Just keep it going. Don't stop. All right, let's get you folks checked down. You all ready to work? Oh, yes, sure. But uh, what's happening back there at the gate? You want to work it, don't you? Sure, we do. Name? Joad. J-O-A-D. How many of you? Uh, Two men, two women. And we was hoping the little fella here could help. Sure. As long as he's careful. Five cents a box, no bruised fruits, no windfalls. Okay, you go to work right away. Sleep tonight in uh, House 63. Mister, is there any hot water there? Hot water? (laughs) What do you folks think you are, the J.P. Morgans? That's all. Y'all made a dollar today, and that's a dollar's worth. That? They charge extra out here. Company store. Fine. The whole family sweating its heart out, and it don't even earn us some side meat. Well, I couldn't help it, Pa. I had to get some canned milk for Rosa Sharn. She needs it. Oh, let Winfield have it, Ma. I don't want to drink it anyway. Now, see here. What have I got, a revolution? Don't nobody mind me anymore? Well, this family's getting right out of hand. Now, Rosie Sharn, you drink that milk. And Winfield, you skedaddle. Hungry or not, you got all you're going to get. Well, I guess that goes for us, too, Paul. I'm going out and take a look around. Yeah, me too. Where are you heading, Tom? There's something funny going on. You think them folks outside was picketing, Paul? Wouldn't surprise me none. Maybe the man brung us in to bust up a strike. Paul, I'm going to sneak over the fence. Well, I guess I can't stop you, Tom. I ain't the head of this family no more. Evening, mister. Nice fire you got there. Yeah. Jim, fellas, come out of the tent. We got a little visitor here. What is it? What's the matter? Well, what do you know? Tom Joe. Casey. Jim Casey, what are you doing here? You know this fellow, Casey? I sure. Knowed him for years. Come out west with him. He's all right. Well, how's the folks, Tom? Oh, all right. We've been a-picking peaches all afternoon, but... Casey, you ain't told me what's going on here. We struck, Tom. We come to work there last week for five cents, but they cut us to two and a half. Now, a fella can't even eat on that. If you got kids... Well, so we says we won't take it. Now, they're paying you five to bust our strike. But, uh, when they do, you think they'll pay five? I don't know. Paying five now. Well, Tom... Tom, tell the folks in there just how it is. Now, you know what two and a half is. 
That's exactly one ton of peaches picked and carried for a dollar. Now, we can't do it, Tom. Can't get our food for that. We all got to work together. I'll tell him, Casey. Listen. I... Be quiet. Hmm? What is it? What's the matter with you? I don't know. I just feel itchy all over. Seems like I heard something out there in the dark. No. No, you're just jumping. Ain't nobody around. No. No, Casey, he's right. Huh? There is something out there. There they are, boys. Don't let them get away. Cops. Worse than that. Deputies. Come up there, you. Keep the light on them, George. All right. Which one's their leader? This one, Sheriff. The one that calls himself the preacher. All right, then let's get him. Look out, Casey. He's got a quick handle. Casey. Sheriff, I, I think you killed him. Yeah, serve the dirty buzzard right. You killed Casey. You killed Casey! Watch it, Sheriff. The other guy's coming at you. Oh, I don't feel so good. Well, of course you don't, honey. Nobody ever does. I, I don't mean that, Ma. This is something. Ah! Oh, Sean. What is it? Is it coming? I think so, Ma. It hurts. Did it kind of grab you all over quick? Answer me. Yeah. Yeah, Ma. Coming early. Now, don't you be afraid, Rosa Sean. You're going to have a nice baby. But you, but you got to help me. You feel like you could get up? You ought to be walking around a little, you know. I, I can die, Ma. There, that's good. I'll just rip your hands, Rosa Sean. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Ma! Ma! Now, Winfield, you skedaddle right out of here. Rosa Sean's sick. But, Ma! I've just seen Tom, and he's in trouble. Trouble? What kind? Terrible trouble. He's hiding out in the brush down by the river, and some men are a-hunting to kill him. you got to come quick. Oh, I, I can't. But Tom needs you, Ma. Well, so does Rosa Sean. Yeah, but, but Tom's hurt. Now, Winfield, you just sit quiet. they got to take the biggest thing and whoop it first. And you know what that thing is. Now, you go and tell Tom I'll get to him just as fast as I can. All right now, Winfield, Get. <laughs> Do for what he done to Casey. Ma, Casey's dead. They just smashed him down, and I, I guess I went out of my head. Oh. Ma, I didn't know what I was doing no more than when you take a breath. I didn't even know I was going to do it. Well, it's all right. I wished you didn't do it. I wished you hadn't been there. But you done what you had to do, son, and I won't read no fault in you. Anyway, Ma, they're hunting me now. I'm going to go away tonight. I can't go putting this on the family. Now, Tom, there's a whole lot I don't understand. But going away ain't going to ease us. It's going to bear us down. There was the time when we was on the land and all together. There was a boundary to us then. Old folks died off, little fellas come. And we was always one thing. We was the family. Kind of whole and clear. 
Now we ain't clear no more. We lost Grandma and Grandpa and then Connie. And now you. The family's cracking up now. If you go, there won't be no family. Nothing to hold us together. He's still got Winfield. And when Rosa Shawn's baby's born, that ought to help. The baby's come, Tom. It come tonight. Yeah? How is it? It was born dead. Never breathed. Never even had a chance. You mean it was starved to death before it was born? Kissy was right, Ma. That's why we gotta fight. Oh, no, Tom. They killed him. They'll drive you out and put you down just like they did him. They're gonna drive me anyways. They're driving all of our people. They might hurt you. They might kill you. And I... I wouldn't know, Tom. How am I gonna know about you? Maybe it don't matter none. Maybe it's like... Like Casey said, Ma. A fella ain't got a little soul of his own. But only a piece of a big one that belongs with the rest. The family? It has a soul too, Tom. And you're part of it? No. No, Ma, no. I'm... I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of all the people like us. And I'll be with them, Ma. Everywhere you look. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can meet. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. That's where I'll be. Everywhere, Ma. Everywhere. Until somehow things get changed. All right, then, Tom. I won't hold you back. I know you have to go. But, Tom, you got to have patience. Us people, all us people, Tom, we'll go on a-living when all them others is gone. Why, Tom, we're the people that live. They ain't going to wipe us out. Never. They ain't even going to wipe out our family now. You'll be a-coming back, and you'll find us. And then, Tom, the dust will be beaten down, and the children won't be a-crying for hunger. We'll be on the land again, a-growing things, and we'll live like decent human beings. And then we'll be a family, Tom, and proud, proud. The Curtain Falls on our dramatization of John Steinbeck's novel, The Grapes of Wrath, starring Jane Darwell. The 15th in this current series of radio plays based on outstanding works of modern Anglo-American fiction and presented as part of the NBC University of the Air series. If your interest in the productions of the NBC University Theater stimulates you to further examination of the authors and their works, you may wish to enroll in college-supervised courses which are offered in conjunction with the NBC University of the Air. We are happy to announce that Washington State College, Pullman, Washington, has completed its plans for offering such a course, thus joining the University of Louisville, whose established home study plan is already serving listeners in another area of the nation. For information, then, as to how you may enhance your knowledge through these courses, write to the NBC University of the Air, 
University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, or Washington State College, Pullman, Washington. This dramatization of The Grapes of Wrath was written by Richard E. Davis. Jane Darwell starred in her Academy Award-winning role of Ma Jode with Wally Mayer as Tom. Miss Darwell may soon be seen in John Ford's production, The Three Godfathers. Our cast included Ted Von Elts, Earl Lee, Stephen Chase, Harley Bear, John Daner, Don Diamond, Jerry Farber, Gwen Delano, June Martell, Clark Gordon, Larry Dobkin, Luke Krugman, Tom Charlesworth, Tony Barrett, Howard McNear. Your announcer, Don Stanley. Original music for The Grapes of Wrath was composed and conducted by Albert Harris. The production was directed by Andrew C. Love. One week from today, listen for the NBC University Theater production of Robert Penn Warren's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, All the King's Men, starring Cesar Romero. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. John Steinbeck's classic, The Grapes of Wrath, starring Jane Darwell and Wally Mayer, in a 1949 adaptation by the NBC University Theater, a series that reminds us of the educational role radio has always played, a role to which WAMU has been committed for 60 years. And that reminder brings us to the end of this edition of the Big Broadcast. For co-producer Jill Arald Bailey and WAMU audio engineers Kenny Pirog, Mike Kidd, and Natalie Urovlivker, this is Murray Horwitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to all of you who supported us during this fall campaign broadcast. Have a great 